Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome back to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by Bloody FM, the number one horror podcast network out there. I'm your host, Michael Monroe Vilmall Rothman, biding the time here in Boston International Airport, where I'm waiting for my fellow losers to arrive for today's episode. And I got to say, I'm starting to get used to this good old New England town. If you recall, last week, we had some fun kicking back a few beers and celebrating St. Patrick's Day at Cheers on Beacon Hill, where we cracked open a bag of bones and answered all sorts of zany questions. Today, we're back on the beam, though, because we're going to be continuing our Stephen King chronological journey. And uh, wouldn't you know it, our next destination is Cell, not the book. We covered that last month, and uh, you can find that three-hour episode in the main feed. No, no, no. I'm talking about... Todd Williams, 26 adaptation, 2016 adaptation that reunites 1408 stars John Cusack and Samuel Jackson, introduces Owen Teague to King's Dominion shortly before he'd be back for it and 2020's The Stand, and happens to adopt a, an orphan in Isabel Furman. Haven't seen it? Well, Enter at your own risk because we're going to be dialing up all the details. We're going to talk about the production history, which is very long, the direction, the stars, the score, and naturally all the changes from page to screen. And hey, great timing. My pals have arrived. Coming in from Nashville, and she's truly jet lagged as she just flew all across the eastern seaboard in this past week or last last 24 hours. <laughs> Jen, say hello and tell us the first time you answered the call that is 2016's cell. <laughs> hey, this is Jen DJ Liquid Adams. And <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> he's my hero of the movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I the first time I answered this call was this morning. I meant oh, to wow. watch it last night. Yeah, I hadn't seen this one before. Um I meant to watch it last night, but yes, I flew all over um, the country yesterday, not on purpose, but because I missed my uh, boarding by two minutes. I'm, I won't rant around about it, but did you know that they closed the gate 10 minutes before the plane leaves? I didn't know. I know well, now. That seems so like movie, you know, in the movies they get there and usually they get on, you know, like yeah, in all the exactly. home movies, they always make oh, it, yeah. you know. I was screaming. I was crying. Yeah. I pulled my leg trying to run to the gate so but missed it. So instead of flying from Nat from Jacksonville to Nashville, I flew to Baltimore and that connecting flight or the c- flight after that was going on to Manchester, New Hampshire. So I saw that in this movie and I was like, "Oh fuck." No. And then I went to Chicago and then I went back to Nashville. So all, Jesus. all the the beginning of this movie, I was like, "Oh, I don't want to see any airports again." Yeah. Yeah. You were you were hoping it would be like Boston Commons, which is in the book and instead exactly, back yeah. to the airport for you, you know? I know. Well, yeah. and it's interesting too, and I talked about this more in the, our book episode, but the first time I read Cell was because I was laid over at an airport too. So, 
This is just bad omens altogether for traveling. I know. You know, it's (laughs) like like Devin sours this book for you and just like get off the airplanes. Um, (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here and you're, you know, know, just uh, like maybe like diehard, you know, you could take your shoes off and, you know, rub your toes into the the carpet. (laughs) Right, right. Just squeeze my my toe knuckles. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Well, next up from Boise, Idaho, arguably. The longest flight of all of us, I believe. Rachel, say hello and tell us your cell origin story. And uh, and also if you've read the book. Hey, yeah, this is raggedy Rachel Reeves. Ooh. And um, cell origin story. Well, it goes way back to yesterday <laughs> <laughs> when I watched this movie for the first time. Because I have also, I have not read the book. Yeah. So I am coming at this with you know, fresh, you know, Bambi eyes, just looking at this. I came in with just such high expectation. No, not high expectations. That's a lie. That's why I haven't read it or seen it (laughs) because this reputation precedes itself. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't disappointed because I wasn't really expecting much, Um, but we can get into that. And yeah, this, this movie. Okay. Wait, I have to, I have to say I did own the Blu-ray. I was so going to ask. On Blu-ray. Okay. So you, when, did you buy it like years ago or did, because I, I know that you it, were, Yeah. Okay. I bought it a while ago at the record store. Cause I'm like, oh, Stephen King. Movie, Cause you have a course. section like, that you made for just yeah, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just Stephen King movies. And I knew it's time would come yeah. uh, when it would come in handy. And did anybody else watch the Blu-ray? I had any to, chance. Okay. I, had to it. So it. I was, Roku channel. I was watching it and number one this is like a movie that it's like does this movie actually exist and then like watching the trailers before it it was like all the trailers were for movies that i'm not convinced actually exist uh so i wrote i wrote some of them down okay there's a movie called uh american heist oh wow uh, who's in that the trust uh adrian brody that's the thing they all had like tons of famous people like you know Kevin Costner oh, and wow. Adrian Brody was in two of the trailers and the Backtrack, Criminal. There were all these movies with all these famous people and I've never heard of any of them. And I'm like, okay, this does not bode well for this film before mm-hmm. I even like get started. But yeah, anyway. and that's honestly a nice teaser as to uh, the long journey I, I hinted at before in terms of the production hell. And and I do mean <laughs> hell for this film. Um, because you mean literal hell. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, hey, look, th- there's the third voice. So we got flying in all the way from the Lone Star State, Anna. You were on the book episode, Jen and I. Um, I was. How amped were you to watch 2016 stuff? <laughs> well, this is Anna Marie, president of the internet. Ah. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Which, by the way, I might just adopt that one as my standard. I like I that one. I, like I, think that. I, I think I have a new regular introduction for this show instead <laughs> of like racking my mind every yeah. time I come on for something clever. I'll just stick with something that's really clever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was actually pretty psyched to see this because... I also didn't realize this movie existed. I I told myself it's because it came out in 2016 and I, I forgot a lot about 2016 mm-hmm. just in general. Like oh, it's yeah. sort of a, a blank space in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like Samuel L. Jackson, John Cusack, Stacey Keach, yeah. Owen mm-hmm. Teague, like stacked cast, mm-hmm. you know? And wow. <laughs> yeah. That's the correct <laughs> response. Yeah. <laughs> I kept like I kept like waiting for it to get better. Like it doesn't start out bad, but like it's not great. It's like okay, it's like all right. Well, you know, that airport scene is disturbing. 
and then it just kind of like it's it, well i suppose we'll talk about it but my main review is i probably will f- also forget this existed even though i have <laughs> even now though you seen watch it. it yeah i mean <laughs> yes. it's honestly same for me uh i had followed this for years just because you know you know again we're gonna go into the whole lo- how long this took to get to the actual screen whatever screen that may be and i i just remember hearing about it for years and then when it finally did arrive I mean, at the time I was reviewing movies and I think I even was like, nah, I don't want to review this one. And I, mm-hmm. I just didn't. And I, and I don't think I watched it until whew, I want to say like a couple years ago, it, it's, it's frequently on Pluto TV and I'm a big fan of Pluto TV just because I love just keeping the television on. I'm a latchkey kid at heart. So I just, I need mm-hmm. something, I need volume in my, my, uh, my, my, totally. uh, in my living room. Cause I, I have I just, the, oh. the ink master channel. Oh, okay. Is Ooh. that what's the Ink Master? Is that like tattoos or something? Basically, it is nothing but the reality show, The Ink Master, twenty four seven. Oh my god! Lots of Dave Navarro. <laughs> Lots of Dave Navarro. Yeah. He's like, I'm back. I, I didn't. Uh, I did. I, I've almost now kept it on just to see if that's really happening. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep, still Dave Navarro. Okay. Oh, I'm, by the way, um, I'll go for power it. up to Dave Navarro. He has long COVID. So. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's when I spoke to Elvira, not to you know. Starfucker here, but like three years ago, <laughs> she'd mentioned like, "Oh, I live next to Dave Navarro, and sometimes it's really loud, and sometimes I try to be loud." It was just really funny to hear this, like, "Oh, that's your neighbor is just Na- Dave Navarro, yeah. mm. one of the craziest rock and rollers I've like on paper that I've ever heard about." Um, what an amazing neighborhood. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like I just hear Aeroplane playing by the Red Chili Peppers all the time. Mm. You know, you're anyway, out with Elvira. You know? I know. Well, hey, I would love to. I mean, look, she's got a cool pinball hall apparently too. Anyway, yeah. To sell 2016, I uh, yeah. So it's been a it's been only a couple years in my uh, my radar, and I, I I have sadly seen this movie at least piecemeal multiple times just because I you know like I said before I love having just Pluto TV in the background. And mm-hmm. I know you're right. There are so many niche channels. Like there is one that is just all 90210 all day, and I leave it on during work all the time. And so I've seen the first four seasons of 90210 like. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times, like the, the other day, and they, they jump around too. So like, they'll be like, oh no, Dylan drove his car off the cliff and then it'll, it'll sh- shoot to like eight, like four years later and he like is a guest star and you're like, wait, what the fuck is going on at this point? Like it's, anyway, we've got a lot to unpack and something tells me, um, call it an impulse that uh, ah. this place is uh, about to go to Haiti. So why don't we gather our things and head to Gaten Academy. Don't use your cell phone. We're gonna survive this People are gonna die. They act for the good of the group as a whole. They may be the next stage in human evolution. What's happening now is more than temporary anarchy. It's the start of a war. All right, at Gaten Academy, a stand-in for the Dairy Public Library today, uh, we discuss the film's production and the crew behind all the quote-unquote movie magic. Uh, but first... A Rundown, so as I mentioned, directed by Todd Williams, screenplay by Stephen King and Adam Alica, cinematography by Michael Simmons, music by Marcello Zarvos, the release date, June 10th, 2016, keep that in mind, it's set in Boston, but filming took place in, you guessed it, Atlanta, Georgia, Uh, it has a sky high 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, (laughs) And a 38 nice. on Metacritic, which actually was kind of shocked by the 38 on Metacritic. I thought it would be mm. actually lower. Um, 
Jen, do you want to read uh, a couple of reviews that we have here from um, for this film? It's the, the we've got two that are from you know, notable sources. I didn't. There was a bunch out there, but I figured you know these two pretty much summarize it pretty well. So sure. Okay. So this is Jeanette Katsoulis of New York Times. I hope I'm saying that name right. Um, she wrote, dated, despondent, and pretty much a disaster. Cell plays like a series of nods to other science fiction horror hybrids, notably The Matrix. Hmm. And Philip Kaufman's yeah. 1978 remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay, I would pick up some references, but neither of those two. Um, anyways. Back to her. This isn't so much a criticism of the movie source material, Stephen King's paranoid and prophetic 2006 novel with the same title, as of a bare-bones screen, bare screenplay by Mr. King and Adam Aleka that's wholly unable to deliver even a smidgen of nuance or depth. Ouch. Hmm. Uh, I know. What did Owen say, though? <laughs> Owen Gleiberman of Variety said, watching Cell... No one's pulse will be raised. Huh, that's oh. clever. Since the film is about as close as you could get to a generic, low-budget, undead thriller. It's based on a 2006 novel by Stephen King, who co-wrote the screenplay, but the film reduces the book to its bare bones so that there's not much in the way of King's mood or any other kind of mood as the characters lope from one safe house to the next. The direction by Todd Williams is draggy and disorganized, and that's a shame since Williams has shown talents as a filmmaker. He made the very scary Paranormal Activity 2. Oh, I do you love that one. And before that, the very humane The Door and the Floor, a high point in Jeff Bridges' middle-aged career. But Cell, as a movie, barely seems to have a reason for being. Nothing on screen may prove to be quite as scary as the opening weekend grosses. <laughs> Ouch. So, you know, they mentioned Ty Williams. And let's just say it took a long time <laughs> to get to Todd <laughs> Williams. So I'm going to, you know, I've, I've been hinting at it forever. So I apologize if this goes a little long. But... This is the scrambled production history, and I'll just say that this goes back to when I was still an undergrad in college, and this movie only came back came out eight years or about wow. seven years ago. So, all right, <laughs> all right. So, look, that's just like the funniest. Like when I was an undergrad, is like a, is a funny timeline like a billion years ago it, well, yeah. well now it's like so i'm like what about when i was an undergrad is that how we now date everything that's like, well, how many undergrads was it ago that how is true right? some context. Context. Undergrads, was it? so that was about okay for me it would be about yeah i was 2006 i was only oof, okay so i'm 40 now what would i be 23 24 i can't remember anyway <laughs> It was a while ago. Mm. The movie arrived 10 years after the book was released, but that wasn't really always the plan. And as I mentioned, the road to getting it from page to screen is a long and winding one. Hashtag the Beatles. Uh, so it all goes back to March 2006, which is really only less than two months after the book was even published. So Dimension Films, they announced that they had acquired the book rights and had given the job to then hostile Helmer, Eli Roth, who wasn't just going to direct the film, but he also wanted to write and co-write it. Keep that in mind. And at the time, Roth was really enthusiastic. He was citing King as his favorite writer, and then he had signed up right after reading the book. He said, I couldn't put it down. It was such a balls-out horror movie with a smart take on the, the zombie genre. Now, it should be noted that this is the second King pickup by Dimension Films at the time, because the first was 1408, which arrived in theaters on June 2007 and became one of the highest-grossing blockbusters in uh, King's Dominion. So you'd think that would have sped things up for this project, um, and it didn't. <laughs> so even then, it was pretty unclear when the project would get up and running, seeing how Roth was really busy with Hostel Part 2. And as we all know here on the Losers Club, and as we talked about last year on weighing in all the, the unproduced 
King films that are still in this developmental hell. Just because this King movie is announced never really means it's a sure thing. And holy mm -hmm. hell, is that the case here? So <laughs> the, the Roth sell train, it was chugging all along throughout <laughs> 2006. So in April of 2006, Eli Roth told TV Guide, I love zombie movies and I love horror movies that have some level of social commentary on them. When you read that book, you feel that Stephen King has been driven crazy by people on cell phones. I think it's such a smart contemporary idea to have everyone on cell phones turn into psychotic serial killers. I've always wanted to do an apocalypse movie, a zombie movie, and a Stephen King movie. Then they also asked him about his concerns in changing the source material. And he was referenced, they were referencing Kubrick's The Shining, to which Roth said, well... That was 25 years ago. I think Stephen King is probably in a different place now. I think he really likes me and he trusts me. Everybody has told me to just go with make the best movie out there. And if I have to change things, Stephen will be pretty cool with it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. I don't want to upset Stephen King. I want to make him proud. But I've got to, make, I've got to have the freedom to change things if I'm going to make the movie. So... The following month. Oh, Eli. I know. I, I know. know. I wish that I wish that the losers listening could see the loser face or <laughs> face reactions to like oh, facial reactions to like what you're saying. Like yeah. It's it's he likes me. Yeah, Sorry, it's yeah. it's it's a little you know, and it's precious too because it's like you think about now, and it's just like it, it's just a totally different world um, out there. Mm. But so. He kind of digressed a little bit further on the film. This is a quote from Lil Joe's library, and I didn't, they didn't have a source listed on it, so I just imagine it's like maybe from like the, the red carpet. But he said that it was going to be, the production was going to be a full-on, big-budget, apocalyptic zombie movie that would be, quote, really sort of like more in the spirit of the Dawn of the Dead remake. And his excitement is all in these quotes. And you can tell mm -hmm. that this was something that he really was passionate about. And, um, and this is actually a quote that I remember reading at the time um, when it landed. He said, well, there's going to be a little bit of violence, he said with a tongue in cheek. There's, uh, there's going to be some blood. I want to make it really, really sick, just full on sick. But I also want to try to make it a worldwide event. Like, I don't want to see it just happening in one little town. I really want to see people going crazy all over the world and just see the end of civilization. Um, and he closed out that saying, the thing about Stephen King is that so many of my favorite directors have adapted his work and they're so varied. I mean, you have The Shining and Carrie and George Romero. So they wind up being a blend of Stephen King and whatever that director's traditional taste is. And that's what I plan on doing with Cell. Now, reading all this, it's like and knowing the, the final execution. It's just it, it's just a good fate in, in cautionary tale in Hollywood of just how nothing is ever set in stone. Like it's yep. just, you know, yeah. the big budget, the wide scope, the, you know, anyway. So. By July, it was reported that Cell would film in spring of 2007. Now we cut to February 2007, which is getting close to when Roth pops up in a groundhouse with his Thanksgiving trailer, which coincidentally he's actually filming right now. So that's hmm. kind of interesting. Um, and then he also has Hostel Part 2 that's due out in June. And so he's at Comic-Con and he's asked about Cell, to which he confirms at this point. Cell, the writers Scott Alexander and Larry Kazoweski, they were the writers for Ed Wood and 1408, which is an awesome, really scary script. It's going to be so good. They're working on a draft right now. So by the time I finish Hostel Part 2, the script should be ready. I really want to read it. Now, we go from February 2007 to March 2007. And Roth is still gung-ho about the project, as he tells Sci-Fi Wire. My first question when I adapted it was, can I deviate from the book? Roth said in an interview. And he says, it's Stephen King. Am I going to piss off Stephen King? He was mad at Stanley Kubrick. I don't want him to be mad at me. And finally, Stephen King was like, do whatever you want. And he adds, but I also want to keep, not necessarily that same chaotic tone, but I want to keep the tension of the opening 40 pages of the book going through the whole film and introduce other elements. Because I think the book, for me, where it loses tension is where suddenly you don't feel like the phone crazies are trying to kill them. I find that it's finding other ways to make it so that you feel the tension that any second you can get killed and carrying, I want to carry that throughout the whole film. 
He then confirms that he actually wants to shoot in Boston because that's where he's from, or he's from around those parts, and he wants King to make a cameo. All this is sounds fine, cool, interesting. Mm-hmm. May 2007, <laughs> and our super pals over at Fangoria speak to uh, writers Scott Alexander and Larry Kazueski themselves, who are now a month away from seeing their own King adaptation 1408 hit the screen. So this is a good time for them. Alexander says... People think they have to be connected at all moments of their lives. So we're trying to make the movie a big indictment of that. And he's talking about the cell phones. We're using the novel as a jumping off point. The the book is very sarcastic about this world of people and what they have brought upon themselves with all their freaking cell phones and emails and pagers and Bluetooth and all this stuff. But after a certain point, the novel sort of moves on to new ideas. We're trying to keep the movie focused on that original theme because it's very timely and provides a really good shape to that material. He adds... There's much more action in Cell, and particularly because Eli is the director, we'd be crazy if we didn't make it uh, visceral. And at this point, Karazeski, (laughs) fucking up his last name big time, (laughs) doubles down on that sentiment. He says, the best sequences in the book are the ones that get really violent and horrible and funny all at the same time. And that's why Eli is the perfect director for it. Okay. So June 2007 arrives, as does 1408. (laughs) As this hostel part calend- two, like calendar, like pages just keep getting ripped. Off. I know it's just boom, not happening. So this is when the bad news kind of starts seeping in because oh. Ross starts revealing. Um, he you know he he reveals the cinematical around this time that he's kind of feeling fatigue because he did the trailer for Grindhouse and then he just finished Hostel Part Two and he says, you know, he needs to take a short break after all the press for Hostel Two before he gets into Cell. Um, and the big tell is when they ask him if he'd he'd be up for more King. He says. You know, the only thing that matters right now is the script. Uh, once I finish Hostel Part 2, I'm going to take a sh- short break and dive into Cell. And the first nail in the coffin arrives shortly after that, when Roth confirms, I am not directing Cell anytime soon. <laughs> and I most likely will take the rest of the year to write my other projects, which means I wouldn't shoot until the spring. And you wouldn't see a film directed by me in the cinemas until at least next fall, which would be fall of 2008. So then July reports in July of that year, July, 2007, there's reports that circulate that cell actually might be filming in, in October. And then Roth comes back and goes, no, it's on hold nail two. So mm-hmm. we're up to two nails now. Now we jump to October, 2007, which is, uh, my first Halloween here in Chicago. That was fun. Yeah. Um, Roth tells MTV news. The latest with Cell is that the script is not finished. That's, this is all never a good thing. When the script, it's been yeah. like eight months now. It's like the script is not done. No good. So he goes, I realized that I can't multitask in the writing department. I can only kind of do one thing at a time. So right now I'm working on a, a guest director episode of Heroes. That dates this. Um, <laughs> and, and then I'll work on Trailer Trash, which I guess was his, like, a, I guess he really loved doing the Thanksgiving trailer. So he was going to do a bunch of things of that. And then we'll see about Cell after that. Nail three. Now. <laughs> A year goes by. There is like, from what I could tell, I couldn't find any quotes in 2008. So it's a year of radio silence in 2008. And then finally in 2009, the rap talks to uh, Eli Roth. And he says, I walked away from it. I love Stephen King and I love the book, but I want to write my own stories, which is the the final nail there. So why did he leave? And ultimately it comes down to creative differences. And um, later on in 2009, uh, speaking to Fangoria again, Eli Roth said, the script wasn't ready, and the studio, in this case, Dimension, had a very different idea of what they wanted as opposed to what I wanted to make or I hoped to make. Instead of fighting with them, I thought, what's the rush? But then I quietly let it go. Now, that's just the first half of this oh, development. Gosh. This is just Eli Roth. Ooh. But knowing what we know now and what we've seen, 
of the the final product. What do we think of like Eli Roth being attached to this? And first off, what are our thoughts on Eli Roth? Um, Jen, I know you have some conflicted f- thoughts on like, uh, I, I know Hostel's not a favorite of yours, right? Like, no, but- it's not. I, I'm proud of myself because I was scared to watch that for years because I thought it was going to be super gory and it is. Um, and so I got through it and I watched it and it's interesting. Like I, I don't, I don't love Eli Roth. I find his uh, need to include boobies in everything a little um, less, less what I want in movies. Um, but I think I would be interested in watching his version of Cell. You know, like what I like about him is that I feel like he does go for the gore and the mm-hmm. like, I feel like he's really good with the effects, which I think is something not to spoil talking about this movie, but I think that's something that's lacking in this one. So I would like to see it punched up with him. And it's kind of like when I think about Ryan Murphy, like his storytelling is not my favorite, but when he's adapting a story that is is like a true story and he doesn't get to like mess around with the events, that's when I like his stuff because I yeah. think he has a good eye and he's able to bring things to life in an interesting way. So I think if Roth could take this story and just like really kind of gore it up and bring all of the really grisly elements to life. Sorry, my voice is being weird. I blame Eli Roth. Um, the pulse. I think it's, it's, you got the pulse at I think I would be interested in watching that. But I, do, I think probably what sounds like the issue is that Eli Roth wanted to make it more of an Eli Roth story. Yeah. And I don't think those things go together very well. You know, like yeah. Stephen King writes about Jehubis, but like I just... I feel like there's a lot more depth and heart to his story. And I feel like Roth really just wanted to make a really gross phone zombie movie, you know? Anna, you've read the book with us. And Mm -hmm. do you feel like maybe some of the script issues that they were having that could put this on hold was because once, I mean, it's what we discussed in the book. It's like, once it gets going, it's like, where do you go? Like, do you think the translation was going to be too hard maybe? Yeah. Well, I, every time I see a mediocre King adaptation, which is, often right yeah uh it gives you a chance to reflect on what makes it so difficult right to translate his stuff to the screen i think we've probably talked about this several times i think it has to do with his dependence on the interior monologue and interior Mm -hmm. kind of voice of characters which he does really really well Mm -hmm. right like he's he he's able to capture the not just the way people talk to each other but the way they talk to themselves yeah Mm -hmm. and so in this in this particular book is a lot of that. Despite yeah. the fact mm-hmm. it's called Cell, right? It's actually not about it. Well, it has people talking to each other, but it it lives or dies, as it were, with Clay. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. his perceptions, what he's thinking, what he's feeling, and this movie has no has none of that. Like, yeah. like I, it makes some interesting innovations, I think, from the book, and some interesting. I think the the ability of the phoners to turn people through their staticky voice, I thought was mm-hmm. a good innovation, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I think shortening the trip to some degree was a good in- a- a- a thing to do, except like, you know, I was, his view of Alice and his view of Tom, for, we don't get anything about Alice and Tom here, I feel like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really liked the Tom, I mean, Samuel Jackson can do, you know, can make a character out of a paper airplane, but mm-hmm. he, not he's given nothing. <laughs> he put snakes on it. That's how he makes it. And that's what <laughs> nothing. He is given just nothing to work yeah. with here, except for like we he's gay. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. We know he's gay because he says he's gay. Right? Yeah. Whereas I think the Tom in the book actually I was saying like to myself, do I appreciate 
the time in the book because uh, sorry to move on but like I, I do think this is related right mm. which is that how can you get how can you create like what good the book is which is the ragtag team element of it mm -hmm. and there's no feeling of ragtag team here by the way on Eli Roth I do not I have not seen Hostel I, I probably will never see it um eh, I've not, probably a little bit of an odd person out on this little in this little club because the body horror is just like too much for me yeah um but uh and he goes I, there I, he definitely goes I, there. yeah I mean, yeah I, and yeah. I won't I will never see hostile yeah. um I do want to say that I appreciate what he's done for her culturally mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think that he's a real force in what has been a real rejuvenation of the of the genre over the past 10 15 years um and and it elevating it to something that looks like this actually and I will talk about the yeah. look of the movie yeah later yeah. but He's responsible for, I think, to the extent this movie looks good, I think we can kind of trace that back to Eli Roth. Yeah, I well, mean, I, oh, go, go for it, Jen. Sorry. I was going to say, I like, he has a, a reverence for the history of horror in a way that yeah. I really appreciate. I yeah. don't love his eye and I don't love his storytelling sensibilities, but I do love that he likes to reference things, but in a way that feels interesting and new. And like, I watched his history of horror and it was good. Like I you can tell he series, really yeah. loves the genre. Yeah. And when he interviewed Stephen King, he like nerded out and he gave him like a, a little miniature from maniac, which is just cool. So yeah, he was probably so I agree like, with you. he was probably like on the set just be like, yeah, you really botched that, uh, that adaptation of <laughs> by right, walking right. around. Should have let me yeah. add more strippers. Oh uh, God. <laughs> Rachel, where, where are you at on, on Eli Roth and you kind of wish that he was attached to this project uh, or had, had stayed attached to it well I would be interested to see it for sure I don't yeah. care yeah. for Eli Roth as a person necessarily <laughs> not like I know him personally but no. some yeah. of the things Same. that have come out and things that I've heard about him not necessarily a fan of and I don't particularly care for his um style of film like hostile just not my thing i mean it's fine it's not my thing and same thing cabin fever i can yeah. appreciate for what it is but it's not like my go-to comfort movie or anything mm -hmm. and uh i will say i do like house of the clock in its walls <laughs> yeah that's supposed so, to be like a big uh like turnaround for him too I yeah feel like. yeah mm -hmm. and it's like a great gateway horror film for kids and it's beautiful and jack black is fantastic and the score is amazing and so it's like he is capable gateway horror of i love that yeah. idea yeah. I'm that's a great that. book too oh I haven't, read, yeah, I haven't read that but like i so i do think that he is capable of doing things outside of his style of really really violent really intense like that kind of horror because and that's just you know i think that's what he wants to do but he is capable mm -hmm. of doing more yeah. so i'd be curious to see what he did with this because i think something that's missing for me in this film is like are those elements it doesn't yeah. feel very scary yeah <laughs> it doesn't yeah. like there's some brutal things that happen but it doesn't feel horror-ish to me totally i agree and yeah. I, I think he would bring that element to it for sure totally mm -hmm. and i and i think that's it's it's weird it's like this it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation or not really that but like kind of um like well you could have this but you can't have that you know and i think with you know by going with someone like todd williams who i'm going to get to how they got to him in a second you get a lot of the human elements I think that the book really strives on, or maybe you don't because there's not so much of it in the script, but I think that director would, that, you know, with what he's, you know, given his filmography, I think he's be able to tackle that more than, you know, given, you know, Eli Roth's background. The only, the reason why I think this is so fascinating is because I think what the creative differences happened was, is that I feel like Dimension Films absolutely pushed these screenwriters on them. Um, mm, because they wow. had 1408 done and the mm -hmm. screenplay for 1408 for actually, I mean, it's pretty solid, 
even yeah. though because that, that's a really yeah. hard story to, to adapt i mean it's mm-hmm. kind of an impossible story to adapt i, I think it's king's scariest story to date but yeah um i think only david lynch would able been able to do justice to like that sort of style <laughs> of what the story was going for but mm-hmm. that's such a psychological um and 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 inner monologue like it's like what Anna was saying with like the book it's like what, what King's really good at is like getting in the, the, the head of the characters and I feel like those the, those two writers really did that and I don't think Eli Roth wanted that and like even them yeah. even them kind of having to say like ah eh, you know we didn't really want to get into like the you know the evolution of the zombies and where the threat was gone it's like well yeah but that's like the majority of the book so maybe right. we shouldn't be attached to this project um because I think yeah. that's the that was the big you know, I don't think we talked about it so much on the book episode, but I remember that being like the thing everyone remembered from this book was just the opening scenes. And they don't realize that like, that's not the rest of the book. Like if anything, like mm-hmm. once they leave Boston, you don't really ever get that sort of um, chaos again. It's just, it's, it kind of subsides. So yeah. anyway, I want to continue. I want to f- show how we got to the, to where we are today. And um, I want to run through this, this, this next uh, section, uh, wild stuff. So the film remains in development hell for the next three years until it's reported on October 31st, 2012. <gasps> Halloween, for all of us uh, familiar with that date. Um, <laughs> Ever heard of that, it? Yeah, yeah. So this press release comes out um, and, and it says, New York and LA-based Cargo Entertainment has arranged financing behind the project and they nabbed John Cusack to play the lead in Clay Riddell. Hmm. And uh, what's more... King is adapting the screenplay with uh, The Last House and the left screenwriter, Adam Ellica. So the connection here is that the, the, it's, gonna, it, it's involving former Dimension Films president of production and 1408 executive producer, Richard Saperstein. So there's your connection. And it's clearly that the guy never gave up on this. There's like, all right, I got the rights to this. We got to make this happen. Mm-hmm. So anyway... There's more. <laughs> in February 2013, Bloody Disgusting, hey, I know them, they reported that uh, Paranormal Activity Director, or Paranormal Activity 2 Director, Todd, quote-unquote, Kip Williams, has been tapped to direct. And then they follow that up in March, um, this is March 2013, adding that the film will begin shooting in May, May 2013. That doesn't happen. Uh, instead, <laughs> in May, it's announced that Benaroya pictures and miscellaneous entertainment's newly formed international sales company international film trust ift has now hopped aboard and will handle the international distribution um and then the press release for that confirms that shooting is going to take place in this in in september september of 2013 so i asked you uh, do you think that they they actually shot in september of 2013 I'm going to say no. Good. No. That's a that's a good guess based on everything that we've known so far because they don't. They instead yeah. uh in September rolls around, nothing happens, but we get to find out that wow, look at this. Uh John Cusack's 1408 co-star Samuel Jackson is signed on. <laughs> so it's a 1408 reunion. Wow, this is interesting. So all the connections make sense. No shooting. Cut to February 2014. <laughs> We're now rounding out the Jeez. cast with Isabel Furman and Stacy Keach and we finally go into production we're actually seeing set photos and i remember when the photos like dropped and i was just like oh wow this is actually happening like this is Mm. crazy this is gonna you know this is gonna be going and then by june of 2014 it is revealed that king has seen a rough cut and he's pleased so all systems ago right Mm. Nope. No, no. <laughs> do you think he was actually pleased or is he just like yeah fine whatever you know just, right it, it, it's done with this <laughs> it's, i think he was probably yeah elated that it was actually out um except i'm sure he didn't he had no clue how long this was going to take so remember this is june yeah. of 2014 i have a question yeah 
Cusack produced, right? He's he's part of it too. Yeah, he's yeah. one of like there's like a I have a list of all the the, the distributors. Right. And it's 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 wild. So I just remember thinking somebody really wanted this made, and I yeah. think that it includes Cusack, which is like, interesting too, given. We'll get Given. to Kutzak soon because yeah. I, I have okay. a lot of thoughts of him. So we cut to 2015. This is like the fucking Zodiac movie. Um, <laughs> it's 2015. And another press release goes out in February of 2015 that says the movie will be released this year. Do you think the movie was released uh, this year? No. I don't think so. No. I'll take a gamble. No, it's, it's ridiculous. The movie's You're really relying on this rhetorical question strategy. Know. You know, it's, so basically, you know, it, 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 it doesn't get released. And then it gets worse because in, in November of 2015, it's announced that the film doesn't have a distributor anymore. So oh. no good. And then to add insult to injury, John Cusack tweets the following month in December oh, no. to a fan asking oh. them for a status update. And he replies... Me and King got cut out of that one. Cannot vouch for it. Don't know what's up with it. Ouch. Ooh. But there's a light. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. So at the, <laughs> before the month's end, StephenKing.com writes to its followers a newsletter for the end of the year and says, finally, keep an eye out for the film adaptation of Cell starring Samuel Jackson and John Cusack next summer with the movie adaptation of It not far behind. Now, what's mm. funny about that quote is that one is it, it is right. It's it is going to come out in tw in 2016. But then now we have another King production that's going to be doomed in hell, which is the 2016 adaptation of it, which is a whole other story that involves Carrie Fukunaga and all these other people. So we're not going to go into that. But it's just funny that you know cause a wheel when it comes to this shit. Yeah. When it comes to production histories and, and King adaptations. Not I don't know why. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Here we are. <laughs> it's 2016. So here's some context. 2016. I mentioned I was an undergrad in, in 2006 when it came out, but here's the here's a real sobering moment. So when this movie was first announced in March of 2006 with Eli Roth, Obama hadn't even really officially announced his president his candidacy yet. Oh yeah. So now we cut to 10 years later, and he's in his last year of his second term wow. of office. That's how long this journey has been from when it was first announced in the trades to when it's finally coming out. So I'm going to go real quick because we've already spent way too much fucking time on this. Um, in January 2016, it's announced that the movie is going to premiere in February at Scotland's Glasgow Film Festival. Why is Scotland's Glasgow Film Festival? No idea. Either way, an opening. It, it doesn't happen because it doesn't premiere at Glasgow Film Festival. So oh. instead, <laughs> we get some more so photos. Those are nice. We get a couple of posters. Those are cool. And then finally, in April of 2016, Sabin Films comes around and picks it up for U.S. distribution. And that same month, we finally get a trailer, which you know that they had just ready. They're, they're, I'm mm. sure all the pieces were all just ready because they're like, God, we just need a fucking distributor. Get it out, get it out. So finally has an ultra VOD release date of June 10th, 2016, and then a day and date theatrical and VOD release on July 8th end scene. So mm. to recap, here are all the production companies tied to this per Wikipedia. Benaroya Pictures. International Film Trust, 120DB Films, Cargo Entertainment, The Genre Company, and then finally the distributor Sabin. So that's five production companies tied to one distributor, and that's not even the, the first distributor on there. So this has been an incredibly long-winded lesson on just how impossible it is sometimes to get movies made in uh -huh. Hollywood, even when you have an all-star cast, even when you have a Stephen King written screenplay, and even when you have Stephen King IP that's tied to it, nothing's guaranteed. So let that be some context as to how fucking impossible it is to make movies in this goddamn town. So, Ooh, wow, 
in anyway, this town. In this town, yeah, <laughs> this like town, I'm, yeah. yeah, like I'm fucking, you know, like Tim Robbins from the player over here. But like, um, so yeah, here we are. We have the movie. Let's talk about Todd Williams. So, a single D, I think we should say also. Mm. Single D. That yeah, feels important. important to his characterization. Yeah. I that'd be like <laughs> yeah. if I'm trying to think if Well, I guess you it's like when you have Sam with two M's. Yeah. Like the opposite. Or Jen with one N. Or Jen with I, one N, yeah. Although mm-hmm. that is how Randall's wife spells it. It is, yeah. That's how I distinguish the two of you sometimes when I'm when we're oh, texting. Yeah. It's like, oh it's Jen. I'm like, wait, you said two N's. Two I was like, N's. oh I'm sorry, I meant the the one N. I meant your wife. Um so anyway, Todd Williams, Manhattan guy, he studied painting and literature at Bard College and Columbia University, and he worked as a stringer for the New York Times, um, which was the LA Bureau. And then he attended the, the AFI, the American Film Institute. So his filmography, real short. So 98, feature b- debut, he has a comedy he wrote and directed with uh, Entourage star Adrian Grenier, The Adventures of Sebastian Cole. haven't seen it. The film that I have seen is just the one that's uh, a pretty notable film in his resume, which actually seemed to be promising more of a future for him, was uh, 2004's The Door in the Floor. Uh, and this has Jeff Bridges and Kim Basinger. Um, he also wrote the script for this. It's based on the the first third of John Irving's uh, A Whale for One Year. And mm. the critics liked it. I mean, uh, AV Club's A.A. Dowd called it the best John Irving adaptation. Um, and Jeff Bridges and Todd Williams were nominated for Spirit Awards. So mm. you think things are going good, right? So he does another movie, which I couldn't find much about. It was called 2009's Wings of the Rockies. Couldn't hear about that, but... He comes on board, and as I mentioned before, Paranormal Activity 2, which is in 2010. And you see that's a little left field, and there's a reason for it. Because Kevin Grutart, who had directed uh, the not-so-great Saw 6, uh, he was attached to it. He fell out, and then they had their own fucking issues. So they had all these directors that were attached to Paranormal Activity 2 that I thought were bizarre. So like Brian De Palma was attached to Paranormal Activity what? 2, which he'll, is he'll, wild he'll to anything. me. I know, right? <laughs> At this point, the 2010 is probably like, oh, I'll do it. Um, yeah. Brad Anderson, who I, I really like, uh, and Akiva Goldsman, not Hollywood hack as Randall <laughs> calls him, and Greg McLean, mm. they were all attached, and then they didn't come in. So he comes in, he does this, so he's now in the horror mold. So Cell is the last movie he did. That's the oh. last thing I saw in his filmography, which is you know kind of sad Ugh. because has he done some TV since then? I think he might have done some TV then. He might have yeah. pivoted to TV because I mean clearly probably a lot easier at this point. And to be fair, probably more opportunities given that you know Marvel is kind of gobbled up everything over the last 10 years. But mm-hmm. Anna, you were saying before the call, like about a style. And I, and I want to kind of pitch it to you. Cause I, I agree. Like, I think there's an eye here. And I think that I, I wouldn't necessarily blame Williams for what we have as our, our as our final like film. I think that there, there's a look to this film mm-hmm. and there's a, some stylistic flair. Do you want to digress on this a little bit? For, that, what, you, what you liked about it? I think it looks like a better movie than it is. Yeah. And it has to do, it's a little bit of, I'm going to say a little cliche-y shaky cam occasionally, yeah. but not too much. Mm-hmm. I actually would say not too much shaky cam, like enough to um, kind of gesture at the fact that this is real. Like that that is the suggestion of real time, right? That's yeah. like the film language for this is happening in real time. Uh, I think that the look of it is really good. I, I don't think it was just my TV. There's really um, saturated dark colors yeah. Uh, throughout um there's a palette that is at, at the beginning that's like dark greens and browns and like it feels kind of oppressive i think in a way that suggests like you know a threat 
and then the out it's always actually always overcast i think it is yeah it's it's mm-hmm. it's seemingly Which, they're in you know, london it's it's you know I, like new england in the fall i guess there's some some day some stretches of that or as it was atlanta in the fall um yeah. <laughs> and i think that the performances are pretty good uh they're just given zero zero yeah. Yeah, zero to work with, and I love Cusack. I love Samuel Jackson. You know, I love like Stacy Keach especially. I was like, wow, that was quick. You know, yeah, like he was on set totally. for like a day, and he's yeah. not yeah. great, but like still, he's Stacy Keach. Like you get you get gravity, you get a center of gravity to a scene. Like when you have someone with like that, like cr- that kind of presence. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and I wish that the Gate and Academy had la- like that was a, a part I really missed from the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Was was having that relationship play out? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I also actually missed Alice being a little crazy. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think I didn't when we talked about it. I didn't. I didn't love it in the book. It's too much. But here it's just completely gone. But I mm. think that there's that's the look. I would say is that it is a naturalist. Dick. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, and that it's the colors that really made it feel like a better movie than it was to me. Yeah, like just the the choice, the pa- the color palette. I think I'm, gl- I'm is, glad is, you brought is the a palette. choice. It's a choice. Yeah, because making that decision. Because even early on, like there's like the red in the subway. There's like oh, that, yep. that pink hue that goes over the train when they're under the canoes. Like there's a there is a naturalism to here that that do, that did surprise me, um, because it does. You know, uh, and that you airport tell scene. The... I would say actually, in the airport is pretty. The airport is good. I would yeah. say that opening scene bodes pretty well. Yeah. For it, like, it's a little cliche. Like, there's all these focusing on people talking on their on their phones, and you, we all know what's coming. Yeah. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I was like, but that's also just true. Yeah. That's also mm-hmm. just like, oh, yeah. a real thing. So it's it's it 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 when it, it works, like you have the sense of dread. You're like, oh fuck, we all talk on our phones. And I also appreciated the power cord parts of that too. Yes, me too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. cause that's another thing about modern life that we don't, that's not quite in our consciousness enough as much as actual talking on the phone is the need to ABC always be charging. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then yep. the sort of weird, weird um, anxiety that comes with not being able to charge your phone. And I think also the direction of their, like you, you know, it's, it's it is out of <laughs> out of nowhere but like it it is this airy scene and then suddenly like goes quick to the ground yeah mm-hmm. um, so i think although choices are made yeah he calls it juice all the time like i'm out of juice yeah. yeah that's weird i don't know does anybody else <laughs> no. i have not no. Maybe, okay <laughs> i guess what i call sack. actually juice in my house like we're out of juice means i want orange yeah. juice yeah. <laughs> it's a minute yeah, made or yeah. something yeah exactly rachel what did you make of uh the look of this film did you like um what, what are some things that, ca- that caught your eye i mean i do like how it looks i think it is very expected out of especially at this time out of a you know quote-unquote zombie picture you know because it's like walking dead is in full swing yeah. you know that we've mm-hmm. had t- like a whole new like zombie revitalization so it did feel very expected mm-hmm. but not bad not in a bad way I do feel like this movie just had to have been edited to hell. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You can tell. Yeah. Like, yeah. like my problems with it are not how it looks, but it's just, I feel like, I felt like I was watching it at like one and a half speed. I yep. agree. Like, it's like things were just the like, oh, we got to get this and stuff, there. right? Like, it almost yeah. doesn't make sense. It's so jumbled. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's just like, it clips along at like such a weird thing. And it's, it's like, I just want a moment, like just a moment here. Like there was so much stuff that was like, why did that either get rid of it? Or like, 
I don't know. It just felt yeah. so edited. The pacing was weird. Such a weird yeah. way. Because yeah. that, like, do they do they spend more time at Clay's apartment than they do at Gaten? I mean, I, I they feel don't like ever they do, go right? to Clay's. Well, they, or no, Tom's, Tom's. They go to Tom's yeah. apartment. Yeah, yeah, they spend a couple of days there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Wait, no. No, it's Clay's. Oh, yeah, in, in, in the movie, it's Clay's. Well, yeah, no, no, oh, yeah. Like, like, but I'm saying in the movie, right. like, I feel like they spend more time at Clay's apartment talking than they do at Gaten Academy, where they have uh, this oh. large, this large sequence, which is like, bizarre. Yeah, filmically, they definitely do. That's like, so in the, bizarre. In the language, like what we're watching, and then like when the, in at Gaten, when they cut to them mowing down the zombies, yeah. also like. There, there has to be a scene. There's a scene, yeah, I agree. Or yeah. Two, yeah, or three, yeah, where they're uh-huh. discussing the plan, where they're like, what, whether or not we should do this. You know, well, that's the thing. The tone feels so weird because they don't yeah. actually ever show any like, like planning. They're literally, like running, yeah. well, planning and like running down people. Like they, nobody has any qualms with just murdering well and that's a people huge part of the like, book like that is right. a giant yeah fucking slice yeah. of this book and you don't, is, and, yeah and there's no understanding of that like the the phoners are getting revenge or anything nope right yeah. there's no sense i mean i guess i so full disclosure this is something i had a, i had a phone open um while i was watching this and i <sighs> i remember i had to rewind it a couple times because i was like oh anna you were on your phone you weren't fully yeah. paying attention yeah and then yeah. i was like oh no actually that really didn't make sense like <laughs> i did the same thing with the ending i was like wait did i miss something what's going I really on didn't, yeah i wasn't on my phone it just feels like i was on my phone maybe yeah. that's the real directorial vision <laughs> right <laughs> well, well isn't it weird that it this feels is like i was too screening this but really i mm. wasn't well yeah. that, I, I, maybe this is a good segue to kind of go into the the page to screen uh mm-hmm. jen because i feel like it, what's so bizarre here is that this is king's screenplay <laughs> so it's right like, right and that's know. what's weird is because i feel like the tone is very cold it's very saturated there's snow horror which i love I, and that shot with the snow horror. is gorgeous too like it's it really, really is yeah, yeah and it looks good but i feel like the tone of the book is hot and fast and warm yeah mm-hmm. and it just doesn't match you know like the point of the book and what makes the book interesting is the connections between these characters and I feel like the point of the movie is set piece action piece plot point and you know it just feels like a jump and so we're missing what hangs it together you know but go into Um, yeah because like there I mean obviously there are some major drastic changes there are some major changes yeah but I I, that's so I'm I'm so glad you brought that up Rachel because that was literally what I was going to ask is just you know I I watched this with Sammy who hadn't you know had my girlfriend who hasn't read the book and so I was like are you get? She was like, I, I really don't. I mean, look, I'm reading up on the Wikipedia, trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the what, with the cell phone logic and everything. And I was even saying, I was like, I've read the book twice, and even watching this movie, I don't really know exactly what's going on, even towards right. the third act, because it's like mm-hmm. there is so many complicated. You really get in the weeds with like the kind of science or the pseudoscience of what's going on with the walkers in the in the book, and the movie just absolutely kicks punts all of it and so it's like i i wondered like someone who hasn't read the book what do you make of that third act like because it's like do you i mean because I, I can't i can't even explain like what the fuck's going on with them walking around the tower at all like i really can't yeah. like it's just yeah. oh same i it's like one of those things where at a certain point you just kind of give in and it's just like all right just let it wash over you and i just stopped asking questions because it's mm. so and the whole thing with like you know the raggedy man and stuff like it's just very i mean I, I don't know. You it's just confusing. You just yeah. It's just there, and I I don't know. It's not explained well. I still couldn't necessarily tell you like, okay, so is he a real 
thing? Like, is this right? Like, where did this come from? Is this an anomaly? Is there some sort of like mastermind behind this? Is this aliens? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> See, that's yeah. so it's, that's just so interesting about this is that like, you know, even reading it, like, there are parts where I can put together, like, you know, when you see the cell phones out in the front, you're like, oh, okay, that's how they're doing this scene in the book. But if you don't have that context in the book, it's like, oh, what? Like, what is yeah, happening right. here? Yeah, because they, they don't make, I mean, it seems like also like they kind of know what it means. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a or they don't feeling. care. It feels like they just don't care because they also, don't talk like, about there's it. There's got to be a scene missing. Yeah. I actually well, yeah. now I'm really into this idea that it re replicates the feeling of watching a movie while you're on your phone. <laughs> yeah, the movie is, actually is the, true the equivalent of, of watching yeah. yeah. it. Actually, it's it genius. You feel, it's now, now I believe it's genius. It makes you feel like you're on your phone while you're watching it, even though you weren't, because there's this huge parts missing. And you're like, oh, wait, oh, no, I missed it. Yeah. And right. it replicates the idea of having to watch something that you can't rewind. Genius. Change yeah. my mind. Well, I, I, what you don't know is Anna just opened her mouth for five minutes and just emitted <laughs> the AOL sound and we had to cut it out. <laughs> I did, I, like, I that I did like that change. I, I did, did too. Like I thought that, that was interesting. But uh, I do wonder, you mentioned Stacey Keach being on the set for one day. That does make me wonder, like, maybe that was the case. And I'm like, all right, I guess we just got to get, get, get rid of get rid of these, like, four crucial scenes that right. explain. Yeah. Like, they need a Glenn Bateman moment for him and he doesn't really have one. It's just kind of like him That's saying a couple things. Character. It's literally yeah. the point, and he kind of gets cut out. So I do wonder if, like, maybe they didn't have enough time at the Gaten <laughs> set. And they're like, also, All right. Well, I they had to rewound fit 50 it. other I, things in, too. This you is know? I mean, I remember a specific point where we rewound it, which was actually between Boston and Gaten Academy, where I was like, Wait, and where I was on my phone for half mm -hmm. a second. And then I was like, Wait a minute. Like, how did they get, mm. how, how did this happen so fast? You know, like, just around yeah. the corner, you know? How yeah. this happen so fast? I guess they even when he team. leaves the airport, it's like they're in the tunnel, oh. and then he's like, "Oh, there's oh. my house." It's like, so "Oh, yeah. you're right we're, around we're, the corner from here." I'm filming, or I'm filming. I'm making. Um, <laughs> sorry, I am doing the podcast with um my friend Dan, the, the science fiction podcast, like yeah. tomorrow, and mm -hmm. he's at Tufts, and so he's ten miles outside Boston, which is now a meme from Last of Us, right? Yeah, they oh, have that, yeah. Like horror, like <laughs> the mountains, ten yeah. miles yeah. outside Boston, and I was thinking like. I almost first thing I did was to call Dan and be like, how long would it take you to walk? <laughs> Just give me a sense. Cause I don't think it's yeah. like whatever. Amount oh, of it's, I mean, I think any airport in any city to walk to some place that is going to take like a day and a half, probably like mm -hmm. for me to walk to O'Hare. I mean, maybe I could get it done by like the end of the day. If I'm really like huffing and puffing like midway, no way. But like, I, I just can't imagine for going from Boston International Airport to your apartment, and it's the same day and the same time of day. <laughs> like, right. Well, and like, they cut out the whole monologue with DJ Liquid, where we really get to know his personality and like why he's there. I'm kidding. There's, but yeah, there's. I imagine you know. <laughs> DJ Liquid. I, 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 I missed that. I missed a little bit of like. I wanted to know another... who DJ Liquid is. Yeah, yeah like even yeah. only to make fun of him. That's fine. You know. I know <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> But I, I, I'm sorry, I kind of went on that tangent, but it is weird. Like, because yeah. you can show passage of time, right? Like, yeah. we didn't have to be with them for like the amount of time it would take to walk, but it just feels like no time. Yeah. yeah. Also, everyone becomes expert shots immediately. Oh, oh totally. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. In a way that's like, even for a horror movie, kind of. 
Well, you played first, you know, first person shooters, right? Oh, right, right, right. So, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. It's exactly like it. Same thing. Yeah. Well, there was like a cut scene where they were playing Clay's Xbox in, in the apartment, and they're like, oh, it's my turn now. I, I guess I'll learn how to do this. No, I, yeah. I it's very strange. Like, all the, the, the yeah. exposition with the dialogue, it, it does feel very uh, piecemeal in a way that screams, like, not only just budgetary reasons, but like, a, like interference being like, ah, we don't need this, cut it. You know? that's, yeah. that's what it is. I, yeah. I don't think this was, it, I think it looks great. And I, yeah. but I think the editing, what whatever was happening in post was in like direct conflict with like how this was shot and how this was made. And it yeah. just feels like there's like two elements fighting against each other. And you've got, you know, the money people being like, ah, hey, move on. You got to keep going. And eh. there are a lot of them it's in just, there. There's like, just, as you mentioned, hands, you know. too many hands, uh, too many cuts. And it just completely just strips away anything valuable here. Jen. Well, and I also think, yeah, I've got a big old list of everything gonna, yeah, that go, has changed. Yeah. Go go through some of them just because it's, it's. Okay. I'd like to see what Rachel's thoughts on this because it's, there's yeah. a lot of differences yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I've divided these up and I mean, if I listed every single change, then. Oh, it's too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. I tried to think of the changes that I think matter, you know, and why they matter. And so I divided it into changes to the story, changes to the character, and then I have the ending in its own separate category. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay so. So we the story begins in the movie it begins in an airport and in the and it changes to the I'm sorry in the movie it begins in the airport the story it changes in Boston Commons which I think I understand why that change was made it feels like just a much more easily containable absolutely you know Mm -hmm. I do think that it it like numbs the stakes a little bit like it doesn't feel like such a big disaster um which is funny given what eli roth was saying his intentions were to show the world like you literally just see like one terminal (laughs) right exactly yeah yeah. and those i've been to airports recently and they're bigger um okay another difference too is texting exists in this world Mm. which i think is really interesting that's something we talked about a lot on our book episode is phones phone use in 2006 versus phone use in 2016 um Clay also has a cell phone in this movie. So yeah, he makes a, a big, big deal about, yeah. yeah, it is. And it's a lot of it is to his characterization, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a big change. And it also makes phones still somewhat usable in this world, which in the book, I feel like they just chucked them because they were, they were afraid. Um, another thing that I really missed in the story was it was extremely easy to burn the fields. Like in the book, it is yeah. this whole yeah. process. Oh, yeah. They have Agreed. to like pry open the stuff that, and which I mean, have have I don't keys know. Keys and you right. know hoses. They have to like go to a gas station, and and that's right. honestly when you get time to figure out what's going on with like the, the walkers because you see them right. like interacting and mm-hmm. holding the, the puppy book and everything, but. And who who these people are, and it reminds me of Larry and Nadine getting gas for motorcycles in the yeah. stand, you know. Mm-hmm. So we just missed that part. Um, and they're also when the truck explodes, like all of these body parts rain down all over the place. And mm-hmm. I remember that being a fun part in the book. Um, okay, so the death of the head is different, and the head is Stacy Keach. So in the book, he is plant. They've been at Gaten Academy for like I think it's like a week or so at this point. Um, and they're about to move on and Jordan is super attached to the head. And, um, so the head is planning to die by suicide so that 
because he knows he's not going to make it if they try to walk away, but he knows that Jordan is attached and will never leave him behind. And so the raggedy man, after they burn the whole fields, I, I said he gets Halloween tooed because yeah, what happens? <laughs> he gets a Dr. Mixter in the eye. The raggedy man in a dream makes him drive his pen through. And in the movie, he's impaled by the explosion. And I think like the reason that matters, I think, is because it one, it kind of implies the warning of like they are fucked because they tried to mow down this flock of phone crazies and that's just really just missing the part with tom killing the lady's brother which cracked me up a little bit um but that's that's not really in the book ray's death is a little bit different um when we go to clay's home this is a, a small thing, but I think it matters. So the note he finds is not on the refrigerator in magnets. It's a note written out in paper and he finds it and he finds it like feet away from the dead body of his kid's best friend, which I think really kind of ups the stakes. It it provides that moment where we're afraid it's Johnny's body um, or that we're going to find Johnny's body around. So I think we lose something. There's not the raggedy and uh, the raggedy man in the closet no. scene. That's not in the book, um, <laughs> which means we lose a little bit of pound cake when uh, Clay sees his wife in the phone crazy crowd, and we get to hear about her sexy doctor shirt. Um, so that's the difference between the story. Yeah. And then if we talk about the difference between the characters, we already talked about Clay having no cell phone and being a holdout, and so in that like you just couldn't do that in 2016 like yeah. no yeah. nobody was a holdout at that point but we lose a lot of the commentary on phones because i feel like clay really kind of echoed a lot of king's feelings about cell phone technology we don't really get that here um let's say let, let's say the characters for heroes and villains for I heroes think. And yeah, villains. yeah i think okay, cool. i think because the big thing here is that like so now you know all this, Rachel. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the ending is different too. Do you want to talk about the ending? I think that yeah. that's a good natural seg because I think what what's ultimately so crucial to the book, especially when you get into the, the the final act, is just kind of the capabilities of what these phoners are able to do, and they only kind right. of are inferred in this movie. And I think the the issue, I think there's two prong here. One. I remember, and I said this on the book episode, when I read it for the first time in 2006 and I got to the evolution of the phoners, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is insane. Mm. Like how I can't even visualize it. Cause it, I mean, spoiler for the book, but Raggedy Man floats and he's able to like yeah. to fly and yeah. stuff. Not in the movie. Sick. Probably couldn't do that budgetary wise, <laughs> but I do think there's a concerned effort to try to ground it a little bit more in a way yeah. that I don't think the book the book gets a little like wilder and ambitious. And I think on paper that might work when you're reading it. I don't know if it doesn't really work that well, but on film, I just don't think it works. I do think that there's an, at least an attempt to sort of rein it in a little bit more. But the problem is, is that there is just no drive anymore at the end of this. It's just, it's just kind of like, I I keep got to get my son. And I got to go to like the whole idea of going to cash walk makes no sense. And it just, yeah. 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 So the, so then the ending at this point, it just feels like sort of like um, he needed to come up with this sort of Canterbury Tales-esque ending to kind of give a horror punch to it. Because the ending's different, as you're, you're going to yeah. go. So. It's very different. Yeah, and I mean, the okay, so when they kill the flock in the yeah. story, like the phone crazies and the president or the raggedy man, he they're like enraged and they send them all these ominous dreams and they mark them so that no none of the normies are supposed to mess with them. They've like marked them for this giant public execution that's going to happen in Cashwalk. And so they okay. orchestrate it to get them all to this place. They've been like ostracized they, from everyone at this point. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, I, I, and it's, 
good in that yeah. it's a commentary. I agree. You know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's there's more to it. And it just causes people to talk to each other, which I think gives us more heart to the story. But so the the whole group ends up at this place, which is not a giant phone tower. It's like a carnival ground and it's a phone dead zone. So they have to organize this whole thing where they blow up the flock. And they do blow it all up, but they get away. And Clay is like, the the final scene is actually playing out, except his son is like all um, phoned up. And he's trying to like, he's hoping that he's going to be able to get the right signal and that he's going to reboot. So it ends, it's kind of like the difference between the missed ending mm-hmm. of the story and the book. It's like, there's hope here. There's like, I might be able to get my son back. There might be a way for humanity to go back. And I feel like we lose all of that with this ending. Yeah, and I, I found a true, I don't know how true this is, but on IMDb, you know, for their trivia, they said that King had announced in 09 that he had written the screenplay and had created a new ending because there were complaints about the ending for the book, which is so funny because I actually think the ending for the book is is actually like one of the stronger moments towards that I think final so act. And I don't yeah. know why, just the, if budgetary wise, when you think about it, like that, that ending is so much more uh, economical than what they have mm. here in the movie where you have this like outlandish sequence, which by the way, when he's driving the truck down the, 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 the it just looks ridiculous. Like the whole sequence just is like, it's so, Oh, we need an explosive I, ending. Like I, go- I was, I was thinking during that thing, is this supposed to be funny? I know like, that right? was my like- entire, like with, I was like, he's in an ice cream truck <laughs> right. full of C4. Like, and yet there's no visual language or language in the movie that indicates it's supposed to be funny. And there's like a couple of funny lines yeah. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like literally, like I think I wrote down the two that there were. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Samuel L. Jackson saying I'm a black man with a crowbar. Yeah, that's a good yeah. line. Oh, I like that that was a good line. Yeah. And I think that, I think there's one other. I'd have to look at my notes. But so I, I just want to comment on the ending if I, I can. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Which go. is that I am not super fond of the ending in the book, but. And mainly because it's like hope it it doesn't tell you things are going to be okay. Like I'm, yeah. if you're going to indicate things are going to be okay, might as well like go, go ahead and tell mm. us things are going to be okay instead of like who will they be okay or not? Will he get his son back or not? Because yeah. it's not you know whatever. And then King and even confirmed on the message board like afterwards. It's like why don't you just put it on the page? Like it's just yeah, yeah. just go ahead and write it. Go ahead yeah. and write that they're happily ever happily ever after. I don't mind happily ever after endings. You know yeah. And if you're not going to have a happily ever after ending, I don't mind that either. But also choose one. Yeah. You know right. Like that yeah, was, go all like, the way <laughs> in one direction. That's why the ending of like, the missed film is so good. Yeah. 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 I want Even if you don't like it, it's still effective. I want to point out a difference that it's really important, I think, story-wise, which is the amount of time we spend with Tom mm-hmm. and yeah. in his apartment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And also how we meet Alice. Those are two incredibly important things in the book. They meet Alice at, like, not just – you see her having to deal with the phoners. Like, she, right. she – it's not just she tells them – I had to kill my mom. Like gotcha. she's actively running from them, and they re- and they don't re- actually they don't rescue her. That's actually kind of a good no, point. No, they don't. Right? Yeah, they they don't rescue her. She comes to them having rescued herself mm-hmm. and more scarred, you know, yes. from the experience. And also, there are characters that don't make it. I think the doorman character in yes. the book mm-hmm. is a really great oh, character. I agree. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Yeah, so they really take refuge in a hotel. Too. They take yeah. refuge in a hotel, and the doorman is not able to face this new reality yeah finally i want to say 
not finally, I guess we're going to have more to record, but, um, <laughs> it's like, we're going to end at the dairy or the gate in the Academy. <laughs> here we go. And like no nose ratings or anything. Like just end it. That'd be hilarious. The whole, like, like the ha- how did True. this happen part of it? Um, I don't mind it being like in the book. I think it's quasi mysterious, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's a little bit like we think it might be terrorists. We're pretty sure it's terrorists, but who the fuck knows really? Yeah. yeah. I don't mind that. Mm-hmm. I also don't mind in the book that it's maybe supernatural, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in the movie, I minded not having anything, you know, nothing, like, I, they, nothing. They, figured, they all figured out like, I guess it's not, I just, I don't know. I, I kept thinking like, if I was in that situation in that airport, like he figures out it's the phones in like right. a second and like, I'm, that happens that, too fast. Know. Like, yeah. it's almost, and like everybody agrees. Like, everybody's like, oh, it's the phones. The phone. Like, on yeah. the subway car down on the Because wouldn't airport. it be vaccines? Don't you think? It's like, yeah, right. I mean, seriously. No, but. Well, that's the thing is it's too simple. It's like, yeah. If, yeah. yes, you you realize real quick, like, the phone is going to fuck you up, but why and how yeah. and who's behind yeah. it? And like, they, they figure out they can text, but that's like the extent that they try yeah. to figure any of this out. You, you know? know what it, the difference is? It's not this origin actually because that's a part that i don't mind being mysterious in the book they do grapple with what they can and can't do mm-hmm. yeah right uh-huh. and yeah. what the phoners can and can't do yes they get yeah. they get into the in, into the abilities and in, in the, the architecture of this world in fact i wrote down a line that wasn't i don't think it's supposed to be funny and uh i did laugh at which is i don't think we're supposed to know the rules this early i think she says um <laughs> Uh, it's too too early to think we know the rules. Yeah, that's yeah. um, and but I was like, feels like we don't know about the it, whole thing. Yeah, yeah I was like, actually, you haven't translated to the audience any of the rules no, of, of of this world and how it works. So and that's what I think is really it's not the up origin; about... it's the rules. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's just no. The film doesn't have any curiosity about any of that, you know. And I think like we we stretch out the timeline in the book. And like the other thing that seems weird to me is the phone crazies are flocking almost immediately. Yeah. And that takes a long time to build up. And so once I started to see it, like I was never scared by them because they always look ridiculous. Like we don't get (laughs) enough time with them to, of seeing them just like going ape shit all over the place and eating dogs and just like going nuts. And it goes straight from that scene in the airport to them kind of orchestrating killing them killing other people and i think like the red flag in all of that production for me when i was like eh, i don't know is when i heard that stephen king was going to be attached to adapt the script and and he's he my a- favorite writer he's fantastic but i don't think he always does his films well because i think he is too attached to the original story but that's so and I- yeah it, it's because it, i i was thinking of the same thing and i but the the pro like you go back to pet cemetery in 89 oh that's and, true yeah and, I, and it's always an this rare exception st- like right yeah, that's true it is an easier one i but. think well, he doesn't a know smaller story i think he often doesn't know what's actually working mm-hmm. in his right. books like i don't know if he realizes that his real skill is in this interior monologue stuff like he yeah. might think he's really good at he's also good at writing scary scenes i guess yeah but mm-hmm. actually that's not why i love him yeah right it's right. the reasons i love him are, be- are because of his characters and his 
the scary stories he tells. Mm-hmm. It's not the individual scenes that, of horror or the individual scenes of grossness, which I skip over sometimes because right. I'm it's sensitive like the heart way. of the scare, you know. And <laughs> it, I think that's it, yeah, it's the story, it's the stakes that he creates. Well, it's mm-hmm, strange right? too because you go back to some of his early. I, I just think he needs a little bit more time away from the the story. I think so because too. you know it's only been three years after he finished this book, which by the way he had really knocked out fast, like as we talked about in the book. <laughs> right, episode. and that's and, another thing. I don't know if he ever had a handle on the original story. No, because you know? like, yeah. if you think about it, like with Pet Cemetery, that's six years after the book comes mm-hmm. out. And that book is pretty razor sharp. Like he knew dead on exactly where that's going to go and where it's going to be. And also that's an A to B to C story. Like that's pretty it is. seamless. And like he there. wrote it a good deal before it was published too, yes. right? So yeah. he's had time with it. He's had story. time with it. Yeah. And same thing mm-hmm. with The Stand because he wrote the screenplay yeah. for that, for the McGarris one. And I, I bring up The Stand just because what I love about that miniseries, and granted, he has a lot more space in that miniseries. It's literally like, you mm-hmm. know, six hours long. But even then, you still get these moments where the characters are trying to wrestle with what the situation is. And you kind of, you have these incredible scenes mm-hmm. where you just kind of digress on this, the, the, you know, the situation at large. Like they they kind of go into, you know, the, the anthropological, uh, you know, the dwellings and, and meditations on it. They go into the societal implications, the ripple effects and the thematic stuff. Like it's really well put together. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm shocked when I see this, where it's just like, man, you like, you're missing over the best parts of what you're, what you are able to do. Like what Anna's saying is that like, I love it when the characters have to kind of just fucking shoot the shit about what's going on. And the only closest moment we get in this is when they're at the fireplace and, you know, you know, uh, Owen Teague's is like, Neil Stevenson's seconds. a god, and it lasts like yeah, like li- less than it's like it's like thirty seconds tops, like, and it's like wait, what? Why didn't you keep that scene longer? And maybe there is, maybe there is deleted scenes that I don't. I know. I was gonna say I want to know how <laughs> release the Williams cut. cut. Yeah. How release many the Williams cut? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's let, let's 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 round this out because you know we if there's one aspect we haven't talked about and I think it's it's worth noting is the score. Um, and so Rachel, I'll kick that over to you, uh, to be able to, you know, kind of talk about a little bit about that. Cause I I actually thought the score was, uh, did a a fair amount of heavy lifting in moments of this, Mm. uh, this movie. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, which is pretty remarkable because I will say there's not a ton of music here. So there's, Mm, the score is composed by Marcelo Zarvos, uh, who's a Brazilian pianist and film and television composer. Mm. And there's only like 45 minutes of music in the 98 minute movie so that's a lot less Mm -hmm. than a lot of films so when it does come in i do think that uh it yeah like you said it does some pretty heavy lifting and is really important to um selling some of these scenes a little bit better maybe than they initially come off um so marcello he so along with this uh wonderful piece of cinema <laughs> he he's he's a very talented composer. He's worked on films like Wonder and Fences, oh, Enough wow. Said, um Ray Donovan, The Affair, uh television series, American Ultra, The Bay, Hollywood Land, Good Shepherd and uh Emancipation from just last year, right? Or 2 yeah. years ago. And but he came to this because he had previously worked with Todd Williams on The Door and the Floor. So that's how he got involved with this. And I just have a little quote here. He said, I had worked with uh, the director, Todd Williams, on The Door and the Floor, a very different movie from Cell, to be sure. But we became very close over the years. And when the opportunity to score a Stephen King adaptation came up, needless to say, I jumped at it. As one would. Can't blame him there. 
Um, he, yeah, he's from Brazil and grew up loving films in the 70s, British and American films, he said, and then moved to the U.S. at 18 to specifically study music and composition at Berkeley and CalArts. So this is a guy who's always wanted to score films. And um, so how, okay, so this score, how it works in the film. I do feel like it feels very early 90s in some mm, ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, those like icy sort of uh, unsolved mysteries yeah. style like synths that you hear sometimes. And then there's like some muted horns that feel like a little jazzy here and there, which makes <laughs> yeah. it just feel kind of like, you know, a direct to TV kind of cable TV mm. movie in some ways. But maybe that's intentional. I don't know. That said. I do think that there's some things that are really well done. So I'm going to focus on those. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For one, like talk about the airport outbreak. Um, There's a lot of electronic distortions and some dissonance that I think is obviously we've got this sort of technology thing going on. And I think that that works really well. It really kind of helps sell and support that narrative and work with the sound design that we have with everybody doing their invasions of the body snatchers moments and yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> opening their mouths. And so we get that a lot in the music too. We get that early. I mean, we get that from the very beginning. Um, and then, so if there's a couple tracks people want to check out where you hear that really nicely and say it's out airport outbreak and cash walk. And I don't know. I like his use of piano in this. Me too. Mm-hmm. My, my favorite parts of this entire film are some of the more restrained moments mm-hmm. that you actually get a beat. You actually mm-hmm. get a breath mm-hmm. in a second. So where you get like Alice and um, Cusack like just talking in yeah. the bar. Like that scene to me is I was like, yes, I want more of this. Totally. I want more of them just yeah. having a yeah. second to be people. And I think that the music, the use of the piano and the drones and some of those like just vibey electronics that kind of get coupled with those scenes, I think just really, they're my favorite parts. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that that scene, uh, there's a track called Late Night Talk and then also one called Son's Voice. I think it's when he's in the house. Um, yeah, that sounds th- right. Th- those are the those are the best parts of the whole movie. And mm-hmm. I just really wish they had done more of that. But yeah, which is know. more like what the book is, you know? I feel like yeah. they they like the review that we read earlier where they talked about it being the bare bones of the story. I feel like that is dead on. It's and dead so on, we yeah. mi- we miss the heart. We've got a skeleton of a story walking around with no flesh and not no personality, you know. Yeah. yeah. There's a zombie also the story. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the whole idea of like the hive mind I think is cool. Like of course you get mm-hmm. like these sort of like really buzzy like strings and these like brass moments that are really like active and that's you know going along with the the hive mind mentality of the phoners and these sort of like dynamic swells that kind of make it feel like it's all around you. So I did think that was interesting how he played with some of the narrative elements and mirrored that with the music and so it's it's you know not the most amazing score in the whole world but look what he has to work with. Yeah, so I was going to say I feel yeah. like He's a very talented man, and I think that he did an incredible job with what he was given. Because he did mm. say he scored the picture. So Oh, wow. Okay. That wow. had to be um, a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> I'd imagine. imagine. I'd imagine. And that means you score it after it's done, and you're just like, yeah. as it, you're yeah. like kind of chronologically mm-hmm. going through the picture. Wow. Yeah. That's tough. That changes a lot. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, 
Well, wouldn't you believe it? I found something pretty wild here. Uh, Gaten has some amazing first editions in their private wing. I wanted to take all of them, but instead, what really <laughs> caught my eye, it's this yearbook. And, and flipping ah. through it, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of heroes and villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! <laughs> Dumbest fucking seg. Anyway, <laughs> we've talked a little bit about the characters. Let's talk about uh, you know them a little bit more here. Um, Got to start with the man of the hour. Uh, Anna, you said earlier you love uh, Kusak. I do too. I don't necessarily love him in this movie though. I think this is um, I think this is a rough time for Kusak. I think that you know I praised him in our fourteen oh eight episode last year, saying I thought that might be one of his best turns, just because it's a one man show and he really gives it. I, I don't know. 2016 was a rough year for Cusack. It, yeah, I, mean, I don't know oh, if you remember. I know. Oh, I, I got yeah. some. I actually, <laughs> I got some direct messages. Actually, that sounds terrible. He was such a Bernie supporter. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, okay. And we were burned. Um, and and for sure. he was burned. And I'm like, I was like vague. I mean, whatever. I was on TV, not ta- not saying nice things about Hillary Clinton necessarily. So I yeah. think he sent mm. me a couple like, yeah. You know, yeah. kind of mm-hmm. things. Um, far as I know, he seems like a pretty decent fellow in general. Um, but literally, he was having a he he was yeah. thinking about other things in 2016. So mm-hmm. I guess it was made in 2014, though, right? Yeah, but he, I feel like even then, before he like, because he he went real political and in, in like yeah. especially in like the the, the teens. Because I remember following him on Twitter for the first time, and I remember like texting friends, being like, "What is he talking about here?" Like I, I, yeah. I just like like interesting digressions, but hmm. um. You, I just, I just don't know if you know. We talk a lot about on this on both podcasts, uh, Halloweenies and Losers Club, but just like the shifting Hollywood um, priorities, right? And I think I just don't think that Cusack was probably ready for like where Hollywood is actually going to focus on, because he does, you know, he was into you know his type of movies. Just there's not a place for him really, like, mm, and I, yeah. and I, you know, and by the by the late aughts. He's he is starting to shift into these big budget things. Like he does like 2012 in the early teens, which is not a great movie. Um, but then he does something like Love and Mercy, which is a fuck. You can clearly tell it's like a passion thing from him, and he delivers an incredible performance in that. But like surrounding that, like I just remember thinking like, oh yeah, sell, interesting. But then also being like, yeah, but this isn't the Cusack that I remember from the aughts anymore. Yeah. Like he, it, it's almost like he's sleepwalking in this movie. And um, and I know that you know that's supposed to be part of his character. He's supposed to be in shock and all, but like. I don't know. Like it was very weird to be like, wow, he's usually the most reliable person in a movie, but he's just not here. Like if anything, Samuel Jackson's that for me, but um, yeah. Oh, I think Samuel Jackson is definitely the, of the two, um, the one that, that has the more charisma, uh, and more presence. I think Cusack, the reason I guess I was thinking like, Oh, 2016 took a lot out of him and making that connection is because he seems really tired. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's like, exhausted. He seems like he just doesn't have much to give, and it's oh. not the character. It is because a character cannot have much to give, but the actor can have a presence that you feel, right? Yeah. And that is usually what Cusack is good at. He has he has actor presence, actor charisma. Yeah. And Samuel Jackson, obviously, that's also his thing. Um, and I just you don't feel it with him. He's like mm-hmm. a blank space a yeah. little yeah. bit. I think I he's watched... fine, but he's not like giving us what we normally get. Yeah, I, think. I mean, when you think about him in fourteen oh eight versus this, it's like it's like watching like uh you know 
he's ACDC in 1408 and he's like sunny day real estate in this movie where he's like fucking somber <laughs> as hell. Like yeah. it is just an absolute disparity. And I, and mm. it, it's sad. Cause it's like, I, I worship this guy. Like I, I can't tell you how many fucking times I watched like gross point blank growing up and, and, and say, well, say, anything, posters, is just say like, anything is great like oh my god yeah high fidelity you mentioned yeah. charisma high fidelity like, he, oh yes. high fidelity is amazing like he has moments in high fidelity where if that movie was literally just him talking to the camera the entire time i'd i'd be uh-huh. all in i'm all in like he's you were saying charisma he has charisma in days but like it's almost like this the phone sucked the charisma out of him in the beginning right of this movie. yeah i watched the behind the scenes like oh, it was yeah. like making of cell which yeah. was extremely vague and now it makes so much mm-hmm. sense. Like it was possibly one of the yeah. worst making of. They would have been sued yeah. if they had like told the Be- actual story. Yeah. And there's a segment with him and he was like so excited. And it was like, where is this in the yeah. movie? And yeah. he's got two vape pens in his hands. Nice. Like he's got two vape pens in this interview. And he's just like, oh, yeah, sell like Stephen King. Yeah. And he's doing this. It was like. It's just night and day from what you yeah. actually see in the movie. It is wild. Yeah. I mean, you could lift him out of the movie and replace his arc with Isabel Furman trying to find her mom mm-hmm. yeah. or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I would be much more interested. Yeah, I mean, because I, I mean, I mentioned you know Jackson. I think we should talk him in, in conjunction here. Is that like, yeah, if it's not for Samuel Jackson, I, I'm not. I, I'm like, I can't follow this movie well, because I, he's yeah. just, he's just, he's just such a and the thing is, is that, and I was going to ask is like, I feel like he automatically upgrades every movie oh, because yeah. I've seen yeah, him in yeah, some yeah. garbage before and he still just gives it like he's he like never Harry Dean Stanton. He is. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, That's a great. Or, uh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's like, he's like Harry Dean Stanton. Like there's someone watchable. If he's in it, like you're, it's mm-hmm. worth looking at because there's going right. to be a, a watchable performance. He just, right. yeah. he just gives his all like, and, and it's not, I don't even think he's like actually necessarily doing it. I just think it's in his blood. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and to be fair, like you're saying it's a rough time. We were saying a rough time for Kuzak, not really a rough time for Jackson. If anything, this is probably like the biggest time for him. Cause he's like, yeah. I mean, this is around, around the time they're making this is 2014, 2015. He's going to lead hateful eight, which is huge. Oh, he goes yeah. and does, he, he's, he's in every fucking Marvel movie, which is a billion dollar franchise at this yeah. point. And you know, he's making residuals in that. So it's like, this is, this is his, time to shine and like you can just tell it's like he is just absolutely casual in this but he's killing it and like right. he, when he first arrives i'm like oh thank god <laughs> like it's like yeah. when you're at a dinner party and you're like stuck with one person that's there and then like someone arrives and you're like oh awesome yay great like that's someone how i felt to talk when he to. Shows up. i don't yeah. just have to talk to sad john cusack i can like... yeah like even... about politics yeah. seriously you know? seriously uh jen what are you gonna say well, yeah, I think, and if we look at, like, the changes to both of their characters, like, there's not really any changes to Clay's character, other than the fact that he doesn't have a phone, but that's not so much about his personality, you know, and I feel like that's what we're stuck with for most of the movie, and they really allowed Tom's character to change in a way that really suited Samuel L. Jackson as yeah. an actor, like, the Tom that we meet in the book, he, I feel like he's really short, like, I don't know why um, Ron, Ron, the ice cream man, whoever is 
um, Opie's little brother. Oh, Clint, Ho- Clint Howard. Clint, Clint Howard. Yeah. Like he comes into my mind as as who would have played Tom. Like he's because I saw Toby heavily- Jones. So very similar. Toby Jones. To, yeah. That's right. I think that might be who's in my oh. head. Um, but yeah, he's very very heavily coded as gay, and he's the one. Like we get to go to his house. He has this whole cat thing where we get yeah. to know him. And I love there's yeah, a cat. No Clay has a cat, and you don't mm-hmm. like nothing. Yeah, I know like, nothing. Like, like goodbye. No, I'm leaving you your food. No. Yeah. Hey, buddy, thank you for getting me through a tough time. Yeah, you know. Like, well, and just, I feel like yeah. we don't get to know anything about him. Mm-hmm. I, it's so what we are left with is just he can really sell a one liner, you know, and he can bring mm-hmm. a lot to that. Well, no, I'm a black man. I'm not walking up to that house. Like he elevates that scene just with his persona. But I also think that the script made some really smart edits for that in a way that they didn't with a lot of the other characters, which is why it just feels like a drag to follow Clay around. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to keep we keep talking about these two characters, but let's talk about also about Elizabeth Furman because I, I'm a huge fan of love her. her. Yes, I, I love, love her. her. Like, I think she's great. I think that, you know, as we've seen with as a kid, at the, you know, when she's in the first orphan, incredible. Last year, she's awesome in the prequel, which is wild that there's yes. a prequel for this movie. Um, I know. Like, if y'all have seen, The Novice is fantastic also. It's this tiny little indie movie about OCD. It is so good, and she's amazing in it. Sorry. I, but I think just out. like Samuel L. Jackson, like, you know, she doesn't get a lot, but she rises to the material. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that, Absolutely. like, when, you know, when she's in, she first appears. Another, you know, just breath of fresh air, too, because it's just like, all right, well, we got two people now that mm-hmm. that can surround Cusack. I don't know. I I, I think that I I wish we had a more you know more scenes with with, with her obviously. Um but even even in this story when she dies, like it still hit hard like it does in the book. Like unfortunately yeah. it's yeah. not as awful as a fate that she has in the book. Um mm. it's more of an accidental thing that happens in this in terms of the fighting and all, but like um I don't know. I, I really liked her portrayal of Alice here and I it, I do think in a better movie you get an incredible role for her. Whereas, you th- know, she has to bring a lot to the table here. Yeah. I think if they had given her the scenes that Alice has in the book yeah, of, of getting to the hotel where, you know, uh, Tom and Claire are, are um, camped out. And also if they gave her the melancholy mm-hmm. and uh, I don't want to call it craziness. Cause like it was a, it's a very sane, re- she has a very sane reaction mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. world. It's, it's, it's portrayed as being a little off, but it's actually like, yeah. you know, she becomes a little compulsive. Right. I think yeah. that mm-hmm. that would have been a good thing. I think also Isabel Furman could have carried that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like could have mm-hmm. carried a character that has a little bit of a compulsion, but also is fully there, fully present, fully processing and is just more than just kind of a compelling pretty girl. And then also we would have maybe been able to see Jordan ONT like have a crush on her, which mm-hmm. in right. the book matters. It's it yeah. matters it that he matter, has a crush yeah. on her, you know? And I, I, God, you know, we're getting to the part of it's almost like the the first like third of this movie I was willing to give it so much. Like I was just yeah. like, all right, you know, not great, but mm-hmm we could we can get better or we can like something can happen and then as then when it got to the bar scene i know i'm getting off track from characters yeah. but i was like all right i'm i'm kind of done yeah like i this now officially i i don't really care anymore um mm-hmm. and i think actually it might have been part in part to bring it back to the characters is that's like the first time we get to see them hang out and it's yeah. actually not a very fun hangout it's like yeah. it's gross so. yeah it's it's kind of like a 
at this point, even just rewatching it this morning, um, for God knows what time that <laughs> is, probably six at this point. Um, oh, wow. Haven't seen Godfather 2, but have seen, you know, Cell six times. How about that? Um, <laughs> I, I'm i watching the scene and it's just like, you can tell like the movie doesn't really know what it is anymore. Yeah. You know, right. it's like, oh yeah, they're at a bar. The guy's getting angry about, you know, English food and then they're playing Ring, so, you know, Ring My Bell. Just, it- yeah, it's bizarre. She doesn't even what? know what to do with the mic. Is she supposed to sing? She's kind of dancing around. It's just like no one really knows what they're doing. And then like, it's so weird. Samuel Jackson's killing it with his, his you know, good conquers evil thing with Vietnam. Mm-hmm. But even then, that doesn't really have any weight to it. And you know, Cusack's actually kind of coming alive, talking to Visible from it. But there's no real weight in context to that either. It just feels a little too late. I, I agree on it. Like when we get to that point, where it's just like, all right, let's just wrap this up. Where's the final act? Here? Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, right. Well, and they change her death. And I mean, okay, so in the book, she gets smashed in the face with a cinder block, which I feel like getting like hit in the back of the head with a bat, like that's that's upsetting. But like there's so much emotional weight to that part of the book. Like it really upset me. And I also feel like it matters because like in the book, she is killed by normies because they are angry Mm -hmm. that they smashed the flock and they get like crucified because of it. And I feel like here she just becomes a casualty of this fight, which I think takes a lot of the weight away from Mm -hmm. her arc. You know, it's like she just dies and then they move on to the next. And And, in commentary time disappears too, right? Right. Because King Mm -hmm. loves to show that the real monster is us. Yeah, exactly. And Mm -hmm. so the waves in, in, I, I, I know we can all agree that the message of the stand is how do we behave after the apocalypse? It's not right. the scary of the apocalypse. It's how do we how do we treat each other? What do we what what do we make of ourselves? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to say that it's just more it's a phoner thing that got her and not like a a normie one of us right. like that we're capable of violence too. And that's such a like I mean I, I actually didn't say this in the when we did the movie when we did the book uh, episode. But I King does this a fair amount, which is, um, you know, the complicit, the mm-hmm. the yeah. normies mm-hmm. who are complicit in a, a few mm-hmm. different ways. He's very interested in the people who allow evil to happen or who are com- who are, you know, uh, I keep on saying complicit, but that's not the right word. Uh, but like the French and the Nazis, those guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, th- that is fascinating to him. And we don't get any of that mm-hmm. now. Yeah. 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 Like the French and the Nazis, you know, like <laughs> the, the ones that weren't in the resistance, the ones yes. that weren't resisting yeah. the other ones. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's it, the nuance of it all. It just goes away and it becomes yeah. this sort yeah. of like black and white thing that is just not very interesting. And it's also not yeah. interesting because we don't really know what's going on. It's just like, yeah. uh, it's like, all right, yeah, they're, they're the zombies. Sure. Of course we need to fight them. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and so, you know, the nuance of that, all these characters, collaborators. Sort of fo- you know, follow collaborators, the collaborators. Yeah. That's collaborators. the word. Co-conspirators, yeah. Um, but to, you know, to our point of like those bringing it and rise of the material, you mentioned Jordan. Owen Teague is another character actor or another actor here that kind of, you know, does a lot with very little. Like, yeah. I mean, largely his entire character is just absolutely deleted. Like he has some yeah. moments where he says, oh, Neil Stevenson's a god. But we don't really necessarily get even what makes his character so stand out, which is that he knows a lot of what's going on. He has at least some sort of knowledge of the science and, you know, he's a computer kid, he's a wizard. So, and they kind of sideline that because that would get into the, the weeds a little bit about what you would have to explain for these walkers. And I say this, but 
I still think Owen Teague kills it in this movie. Like when he's he like does. tearfully up, like I, sure. you know, like he's a great actor. Like I, I little it, baby. It says he's a lot so about cute. it that he's able to stand yeah. out, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I thought that just speaking as somebody who has not read the book, so I had very little idea of what was going on. Like his, the the few moments where he did say stuff, like where he was talking about like their hard drive swipe. And, you know, if you were a computer, it would say like, you're only using 2%. You have 98% available. I was like, okay, like now this is started. Like th- that to me was really important information. And it was just like, like yeah. there and gone. Yeah. And yeah. there's just like these like seconds where he says stuff and it, it, it like so much of this felt like there was so much more to dig into that was important that would have really helped make things make so much more sense. Yeah. But Deleted Andy's scenes. just a, yeah. yeah. Andy's just adorable. Yeah. He, he is. He's really cute. Well, and he becomes kind of like a surrogate son to Clay in the book. Like they develop a relationship. And in the movie, that last scene where he gives him a hug and he's like, why is he crying? I know. Clay, like I didn't know they cared. You know, they talk to each other like twice, maybe, you know, because we just it's like that. it's like some of the only emotion that we actually get in this movie comes from him. Yeah. Right. Like when that like when the headmaster dies, like he does this like really pain. I mean, his voice literally like cracks and you feel this like actual like pained scream when he sees right. that like and then we leave like that's like all we get like nobody else. There's like no emotion no. here like it's, they're just like oh well let's kill these guys all right let's keep going i want my 80, son back it's but. 80 pages of context in one scream <laughs> it's just Which like is, yeah, exactly right. but he kills it but it's so yeah. weird because like and mike you and i were texting about like them having no budget and that's why a lot of this doesn't look great or a lot of the action sequences don't hit or don't yeah. land. But they have this fucking amazing cast and they take all of their energy away from what they probably spent all their money on and they put it into the plot and the the set pieces and everything, where which is, it just doesn't work. Well, we're, here's why I'll lay the blame on, on the script is that, think about Night of the Living Dead, all right? That movie is mm-hmm. 1968, no budget. Really, mm-hmm. right. um, and yet it's still one of the most timeless and effective movies that gets that set the template for the zombie genre, and it's largely in a house, okay. and yet in black and white, and and it's mm. in black and white, and you know why it, it it works is because the fucking script is incredible, and mm-hmm. the dialogue that's being exchanged, the the naturalism of how you watch these five or six characters figure this out, is all on screen, and we're watching it and we're figuring it out with them. I am not with them in this movie. And you're never really with them. Like, and that's largely why this movie fails. Like every zombie movie, the, the biggest priority ever since Night of the Living Dead has, should be that you have to be, you have to feel as if you're part of the team. Like when I'm watching Dawn of the Dead, which is a totally 180 from this, because you get three hours and you get to spend much more time with people in the mall. I am so embedded with those characters, but the, the, but but, you know, by the time, you know, things shit, you know, the shit hits the fan. I am like, 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 you know, I'm feeling stressed out. And I yeah. just never feel that once in this movie because I just, you're, you're never part of this quartet, which is outstanding Cuthead. to think of because, <laughs> yeah, because that's King's strength and he's the writer exactly. here. And I, and I just, so I just, I really do kind of pivot a lot of this because I'm just like, I don't know how they, they, they that, that got fucked up, especially since you well, had budget concerns. Why would you lean on set pieces when you don't have the yeah. money? So, right. Yeah. They make, they spend, yeah, it's, you know, it's not what happens in a movie that makes it a good movie, right? It's how it happens. Yes. And yeah. what right. happens. And they just completely ignore that. And it's just like, this is what's happening. And they just like kind of ignored everything else, it feels like. This yeah. all so feels weird. like the first third of it could be a really good pilot for mm-hmm. a miniseries. Yes. 
Yeah. And then the last two thirds are just shitty. Like, yeah. I don't know. They're just, they're just bad. <laughs> yeah. But the first, the first third is like, okay, this is going to be a mini series about the, what the book is about. Right. Yeah. Like about this guy who also in the book and not here, there is more of a like, why are you even going? Come on guy. Mm-hmm. That's probably come on. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's a bigger choice for him to decide to go ahead and go. And also I remember this now in Clay's apartment. When Tom says, are you going to leave? He says yes, and Tom's. I I thought it looked like Samuel Tom, Samuel Jackson. Tom was saying looked like he was going to say it's a bad idea to. Leave. Yes, he. I I agree. Yeah, there's a moment where he's like, uh, he's about to say like, "What are you nuts?" Like, and, yeah, yeah, right. And I I yeah. think the decision to leave was a big deal. Like the decision for for Tom and Alice to join Clay is a bigger deal in the book, and I think it is here. And also, when you think about it, it is kind of a big deal. Like if you're in apocalyptic wasteland like and you have a safe space like maybe right you know you're not gonna like, leave it maybe not yeah. leave like yeah. why leave until we figure yeah. some shit out at the yeah, very exactly. least give it more than you know give it more than a day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. More than yeah. a day. um take care of the yeah. cat like maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah which they take you know king does a good uh you know takes concern about that in the book like you know that's that's a long running thing that he keeps thinking about um yeah we only got one name that we should we already brought him up stacy keach i think he's you know the little that he gets here I think for me, this is more of a what if, like, oh, well, this would have been yeah. interesting to have more here. I don't really have many notes on that. The other name I really want to get into is um, just the Raggedy Man with Josh Michael. Yeah. Now, I want to bring him up because I, I actually think the change here is really key because in the mm-hmm. book, um, it's, it's a black character, right? It, it's a, yes, you know, he is so a black character. He's yeah. the only black character that's in the, he the, is the book, the only too. Black character. Um, and it's also, there's a lot more that the Raggedy Man has in, in the book. And the one thing I will say that I think works is that it's scaled back here. And I think that if mm-hmm. they had given more context of what the hell was going on, these little flashes and these little glimpses of him mm-hmm. and then these dream sequences actually would be really affecting because I think the less is more here. Like the little things mm-hmm. that you get, you're like, wait, what the fuck did I just see? It, it, it's cool. Like, I like that. Um, Anna, go for it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I did... It's weird because I liked and didn't like what they did. Um, part of me liked the scaling back of him a little bit, although we need more exposition from we do. someone. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I the scene where they're in the drive-in movie theater. Yeah. Whatever. Like, fine. I, I, that must scene. be in a cool place to film. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like well, there's uh, no one around, so we could use this now. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and they wake up and he, they all discover they're dreaming the same thing, and and also it is the guy from Clay's comic book, which mm-hmm. I don't think is true in the book no he only starts drawing them later though i didn't mind that yeah i because i like the idea that there is something supernatural about the cell stuff happening and samuel jackson's character i keep because he's so much more memorable as samuel jackson samuel jackson yeah (laughs) um but tom says something like you're not the first person you may have been the first person to draw him but you're not the first person to see him and i was like well that would be an interesting idea yeah the idea that like the raggedy man much like the man in black is like is like you know um a you know just a a a figure in our a, a joseph campbell type figure that we have in our heads and that clay has somehow in this particular moment in time intuited exactly what that villain is going to look like and put him in a his graphic novel it mm-hmm. also turns out to quasi predict the future but it's not really predicting the future mm-hmm. it's just 
we've all imagined this yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. I, that would be mm. such a cool, like, cool I agree. idea. Yeah. And yeah. It, sorry that I just made a better movie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> right. There's a lot of connective tissue we could bring here that I think that yeah. would certainly elevate things. I, again, it's, so there was no deleted scenes at all, Rachel, on the, the Blu-ray. There's nothing like. I, I No, I think there are. I need to go oh, okay. and look. Cause okay. that's, it's, I'm hoping there's like, 30 of them i'm sure there are <laughs> there have to be a ton of stuff that's that, that's taken out of here um it and, feels yeah. like at least 15 minutes were yeah. cut out because even at the drive-in like they kind of just like oh okay well let's go like what? yeah they right. just, I, I wouldn't know i didn't know where they were at first like yeah why yeah. did the drive-in um I, it's funny sometimes you think like the release of the williams cut like i actually did like the snyder cut better but it was a very low bar um and this <laughs> would be also that yeah right uh-huh. yeah right um, and they both actually the real problem because the real problem isn't the deleted scenes you know like we talk about missing those but there's a more fundamental issue here which i think has just to do with the conceptualization of what's important about the story yeah yes. yeah it's exactly. deletion of the pages of the script i think that we need because like, i i like i don't know given what they do show us i have a hard time thinking they've filmed like a whole bunch more stuff that they didn't put in um, I feel like they like should have. Is it Chanel Coco Chanel's advice where you like? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. take something off and take, you walk out. take off yeah. something yeah. off. Like they should have looked at it and then been like, okay, we could take out these and focus more on this. Because yeah. edit, 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 edit. Right. Yeah. Edit. Which, I mean, they not did edit. edit. <laughs> they, Ed, yeah, they, edit <laughs> what you're including, not edit everything to death. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and edit with it, a cold eye too. You know. Yeah. And ed, again, it's. I think King is a bad editor of his own work i think in the so sense too that he doesn't know what's important about it and that's the fundamental wrong choice even before the script was committed to paper probably was what is interesting and important about the story that's in the book yeah yeah right well and what's interesting and important about the story in the book on the page is going to be different than what is mm-hmm. on the screen and i feel like there is a really great adaptation of that story but i feel like this is too closely aligned to the original plot that we just you you can't make them the same because king often does not work in the same way on different mediums you know? yeah it, it's kind of like when you you know you come back from like something that wild that happened right and it's still fresh right. in your mind and you have that per- point of view and you try to explain right. it to someone and, and then like well, someone's like wait, wait wait a second you're glossing over some details and you don't think that you need to have those yeah. details because yeah, you yeah. know from firsthand of what happened mm-hmm. I, I feel like when you have a writer that's so t- closely attached to those things they do forget a lot of the the, the bridges there especially someone that is literally coming back and trying to rewrite things. Like he's, you can right. tell like he's absolutely trying to, to, to weed through some of the stuff that he might have put it to paper because clearly he, you know, he rushed this out, the book. I mean, he said, he yeah. t- said as much. He got it, had to get it out there ahead of time. Um, he was also working on Lisey's story at the time, which, um, you know, as you'll hear in our book episode that we'll be running <laughs> next week, there's a lot <laughs> of threads in that. Like, yeah. Like there's Lisey's so much story. shit. Like, God damn, there's uh. a lot of stuff there. But um, now that we've covered the stars, I keep meaning to ask everyone if they, remember their dreams last night because me i had a nightmare if you think your dreams are disturbing (laughs) imagine the nightmares of stephen king what are you some sort of a horror movie guy no clyde i'm a literary guy all right real quick we're gonna do a little speed round. What's our nightmare? What's our dreamscape? Let's start with the. We've been a little negative. Let's start with the dreamscape. Uh, so, Jen, what is something that you liked? Uh, what's something that worked really well for you? 
Well, okay. So there's one that I really love. I just love Samuel L. Jackson and Isabel Furman. There's also Snow Horror. And there's a moment when a phone crazy is running through the woods and he runs smack into a tree. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, but that was the, my favorite part of the entire movie. It made I loved it so much. So. <laughs> it's a little details that count. That's a little, yeah. yeah and that uh, might be a, a, like, a little catty nightmare, but yeah. I don't know. I loved that. Rachel. I did love the moment where they are, they go to the water and you see them all like opening their mouths for the first time, I think, and they're making the noise. And then you see them all turn at the same time. And that was the moment where I was like, oh, okay. Like there is something interesting here that I wasn't expecting. And like, I was excited to see where that went. No, where it went. But at that moment, like I was, I, it separated itself from a lot of other zombie films that I felt like it was just kind of mimicking at that up until that point. Agreed. Agreed. Anna. I have to just echo or ah! yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what my what my fellow losers have said. I think uh, Samuel L. Jackson elevates every scene he's in. Even he does the Bible verse. Yeah. That it kind of comes because it's I in the book he recites it over the grave of the mm-hmm. head. In this context, it almost makes no sense at all. Yeah, I know. But it's a really good reading of an interesting Bible verse. So I liked that. Um, I also liked that scene by the water, which I guess I would also put in my, I guess I put in my pet cemetery. It is genuinely disturbing. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. genuinely also, I did I did guess they were going to get under the boat. I mean, just to hide. Yeah. But, but in the apocalypse. <laughs> it, yeah. But I did have like, you know, there was there was a sense of genuine like menace and like something bad might happen. Uh, yeah, and it was creepy. It was genuinely creepy. So yeah, I I echo right. that. I, I the, the water sequence is great. I love how it's shot. There's a really cool, sh- uh, interesting mm-hmm. framing for uh, Alice when she's sitting by the water, and I like some mm-hmm. of the shots there are great. I like um, the the weird sort of juxtaposition with the the waterfall or the the dam mm-hmm. it, as it is mm-hmm. it kind of yeah. runs it's very yeah. i hate to say this but it's very lynching at points where it just kind of cuts mm-hmm. to that for moments but um yeah and i and i thought the ring my bell it, the bar scene doesn't work but i do love that song so just yeah. the weird sort of cuts in that i thought we were like all right there's at least some sort of you know it, things were getting slow and i just kind of like wanted to you know, it, it could get, gave a little nice jolt. Also, remind me that I need to find my old pure disco CDs from the '90s. Um, <laughs> real quick for the nightmare, because I think we've been pretty. We've, yeah. We focus a little bit on the nightmares. I, I think we all pretty much can agree that the big nightmare is the script. But um, is there other one little thing that that we haven't mentioned, Jen? This is a personal me thing, but there's when when Alice finds Clay's cigarettes and she's like, no, no, no. I like yelled at my TV, give her the fucking cigarettes. I know. Like, as, that's what As I, a stress I smoker. Yes. Like, what the same. fuck? And then he hands her a gun later. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. That'd be like in you after like when we did our live show and I said, all right, can I have a cigarette? And you're like, no. And I'm like, I'm like no, oh, okay. Uh-uh. God damn it. <laughs> like, exactly. Lose my okay. Mind. Well, my other. Uh, are you talking about the scene where she comes back from the shower and says, I found these in your pocket? Yeah. yeah. I thought that was a pill bottle. Oh. Oh, no. I thought well, they were cigarettes. I think they're okay. cigarettes, yeah. It was yeah. more interesting to me that it was a pill bottle. Yeah, that would have been... <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, let her get fucked up, though. Her mom... Yeah, I, was I, like, I was, I was kind of like, huh. You know, also, I didn't... But that, I kind of agree, because also, how she's clearly adult in this, yeah. movie, in this movie, and Samuel Jackson, I'll, whatever, she's an adult. Let her fucking smoke. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. Like, yeah. Well, and I world. also... <laughs> I, this... I'm, one of my big complaints of the book was it does not pass the Bechdel test, and this movie mm. still does not pass the Bechdel test. It's so close, but yeah, no, yeah. So. yeah. Rachel, um, I got a couple of close, just small ones. Uh, Cusack's hair, 
It's oh, a good yeah. thing he wore. Yes. Good, good thing he wore a beanie for most of it. <laughs> and um, the plane is crashing into the airport. Uh, that CGI is brutal. Oh, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, oh, something I did love uh, the Lloyd Kaufman cameo. Yeah, for, that was cool. That was cool. <laughs> I was like, is it? It yeah. is. Okay. <laughs> so strange. It's so strange. I love it. Random, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ana, do you have any more? Uh... I, I can't. I mean, I guess um, <laughs> if we're going to say specific things about the bar scene that were a low point was the drunk lady. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kind Sally. of also making a pass at Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. which. Then kind of, I mean, I'm kind of glad it went nowhere, but also, why? Yeah, it you know, was strange. It, yeah, it didn't make any sense. Oh, and speaking of, there is one little bit of pound cake, which is uh, his wife giving the raggedy man a blowjob. Yeah, which yeah, like what? comes yeah. out of nowhere. Absolutely out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. speaks to anxieties that we don't know that Clay had. I know. Is he like <laughs> jealous of the? You know, is there some sort of inequity? I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it, very odd. I mean, like. I kind of get what you're going for, but you know what? Never mind. I yeah. do not get what you're going for. Yeah. Not at all. I do not understand that scene, and it's gross and the end. That's also yeah. for his wife's characterization, like of the th- two shots it. she's in. One of yeah. them is giving head to a zombie. Yeah, like, tough run. <laughs> tough run for the actress for that. Other than the, the like scene a, where they're at the school or there's something. There's a negative Bechtel right. number. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, well. I, I don't have much to add here, but I, I will say that I, I felt a shiver. And it's mm-hmm. because I think we're approaching the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery human at all. All right, we talked about uh Anna, you mentioned the the by the water was a creepy mm-hmm. scene for you. Is there anything else that that uh, got under your skin for this movie? It's not not exactly not, a terrifying movie. But, not much, really. Yeah. I you know, actually what I'll say is the opening airport shot with all the people talking on their phones. And it's a little bit of a loaded dice because we know we're in a movie where cell phones are going to turn on us, but at the same time, it's just true. Mm-hmm. Like we are all on our, if something bad happened, you know, with our cell phones, it is, we would all go nuts. Yeah. Um, maybe mm-hmm. not literally tear each other from limb to limb, but you know, we're no, attached to them. Yeah. And so I think, I think they're the menace, the little bit of menace there again, loaded dice, but I felt it. The German shepherd shot got me. Ooh, um, I'll yep, say that. I was, that. I was yeah. like, I forgot about that in the, one of the rewatches. Like, oh, I didn't. Just, all right. That's, I, I, I just hadn't seen it, I guess. I must have been looking away. I was, I second screen yeah. a lot. So I was like, wow, they really went there. Uh, yeah. R- Rachel, what, what scared uh, yeah, you? Yeah, the, the dog, the airport, it's gave me anxiety because <laughs> it felt very like, the airport is gross. Um, yeah, the water scene. I don't think, yeah, this isn't very scary. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot of cemetery. A lot of, not a lot of graves in this one. Jen, what about you? Did you get scared or anything? Um, well, the Raggedy Man in the Attic Closet actually got me. Like, I yeah. was not expecting that. Um, and then the backyard scene where the boy's on the swing. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I thought that was effective. And it was the first time we've really seen them outside of the city, too. So I, the whole running through the woods thing, I thought I, I, that made me nervous for the characters, which I bet it, I think is about as close as you get to scared here. Yeah, that 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 the the scene by the water is certainly the, yeah. the one that sticks in my my craw. Like, and just the initial shot of them, because it is weird. Like, you know, not to say that 
it requires a ton of acting for, for zombies, but you know, I've seen enough walking dead enough zombie movies to, to know that there is some sort of finesse there. Um, and I just felt like there were some shots at the, the, the zombies in this room. I was just like, ah, maybe, maybe done another take. Like they look a little yeah. too on the nose here. Um, especially in the city scenes where it's daytime, it's just not good. Well, I'm hearing the, 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 the twinkling bells and I think we're coming into King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. All right, let's, uh, there, there are surprisingly a lot of connections here uh, to King's Dominion that I, I will say some of them in here are really, really nicely done. Um, I have I have a rundown that I took from IMDb Trivia um, and I, I referenced them and I confirmed them. They're all in there. Um, but let's, I'll, I'll pitch it out to you. Jen, do you want to kick this one off for you? I've got two. And okay. one is the fridge cam. Like we get a shot from inside the fridge with Samuel L. Jackson and John Cusack. And we get a fridge cam in 1408, which I thought mm, was yeah. really interesting. It's John Cusack looking in and there's little mini Samuel L. Jackson. So I thought that was nice. And the other only other one is kind of more of a like a feeling thing. Like when Alice talks about dreaming about getting poked with a knitting needle, I thought of Franny dreaming of flag in the coat hanger. So yeah, that, yeah. that's all I got. What about you, Rachel? Um, so there's an actor, Wilbur Fitzgerald, who's in the bar. I think he's the husband of the the drunken lady mm-hmm. with the really dark hair. Um, he was in Pet Cemetery 2 and oh. 11 Oh, interesting. Oh, All right, cool. so we have some more, Katie, then. Um, Anna, did you catch any? Uh, nothing except for the Raggedy Man flag thing yeah. that's there in the book, which I think is... I, it's a graphic novel. We see some scenes from the graphic novel. Intentionally or unintentionally, I do think it lo- has the look. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. The flag. Uh, so here are the ones I pulled from IMDb. So in the opening airport scene, the flight to Manchester, New Hampshire, is changed to gate A6. And A6 is the mm. lethal virus strain from the stand. I thought that was cool. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. In the opening scene at the airport, you also hear Intercom say flight 1408 to Los Angeles. That's pretty easy. <laughs> oh. Um the this is one I actually saw when I when I first watched it. So 14 minutes into the film, like there's a side character that's killed in the subway tunnel by a maniac, and the way it's killed with the, the axe is exactly the same way that uh, Scatman Crothers gets axed in um, The Shining. Oh yeah, so yeah. So that was a fun little nod. And this is the coolest one I think. Um, in the scene where Clay sits on his son's bed, he faces a painting of a ship on stormy waters that's hanging on the wall, and that's the same famous painting that's on the wall in Cusack's hotel room in 1408. I thought that was a cool mm-hmm. nod. I, I love I love when you can do little things like that. Um, yeah. But you know what I also love? I love when we reach the end of a long episode oh, and we can wait, give... Oh, you got one more? I have just a few more stupid ones. Okay, go, 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 go um, for it. Go for it. Stacey Keach was in Children of the Corn, 666, Isaac's Return. Ah, yes. <laughs> nice. And uh, was it Josh Mickle? Michael was in uh, the cre- new Creep Show series. Yep. In an episode called Dead Girl Named Sue. And on the ice cream truck, there's an ice cream that's called the King Cone. Oh, is there really? Oh, oh that's nice. that's cute. That's cute. I wonder if uh, if King got to pop up on set and have a little ice cream for himself. That would have been nice. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, well, I mentioned it before. Let's just do our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. (laughs) Okay, I'll be right there. You said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. All right, we got to nose it. Uh, let's start with you, Anna. Oh God! I hate to go first. <laughs> all right, uh, I'll go. All right, do you want Jen to go first? Jen, can go. 
I I'm just gonna give it one nose. Okay. I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty bad. I I think I'm usually the soft grader. I was when gonna I'm say, yeah. Was, well, at least yeah. with a lot of the 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 DTV stuff too. Like I feel like. Yeah, yeah, because also like I I feel like I have a lot of sympathy for, um, and it, it's weird. It's like I'm an easy grader because when you can see the work that goes into a movie. Like, even if it's bad, like, that makes me want to like it more. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of stuff, like the the um, a Salem's Lot sequel, which still I I probably will never watch again, but I <laughs> will have fond memories of for its kind, its, its close miss of good, bad greatness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, I, I can tell it's a passion. I mean, you've told me how hard people work to get it on the screen, and none of that is there. Yeah. If you had told me that John Cusack was just cashing a paycheck for this if you had said that this was all just journeyman work i would have believed you oh i agree right? i still think it feels that i mean it could yeah no that, it feels you know? that way yeah. it totally feels yeah. that way and so i think it doesn't deserve any more than one bright red pennywise cloud that's nose. fair that's fair uh rachel yeah um <laughs> 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 i'm gonna give this one and a half and similarly i feel like i usually am pretty like lenient with my grades I always say like I align with Dan Caffrey when I'm looking at things silver lining mm-hmm. I find him, me agreeing with him a lot on things and this it's just I can forgive a lot and and like Anna was saying with like DTV stuff like I'm fine with bad movies if they're fun yeah, yeah. and like this is not fun mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have fun with this movie I don't think that the story is particularly well executed or interesting the way it's presented here um however I will say I put off reading the book for a long time just because I heard just not very good things and this actually does make me want to read the book because it has to be better than this <laughs> so yeah, I want yeah. I, I do want to like check it out for that reason and I, I saw a pull quote that somebody saw it's on one of the movie posters and it says brain bending <laughs> and I feel like that's um accurate yeah <laughs> yeah we're all for our brain goes on an exercise here for sure jen um i don't know i think i'm gonna be the soft grader on this one because there are some things that i think they did well um i think casting john um samuel jackson for the role of tom is great because it diversifies the cast which was an issue in the book and that's why the raggedy man felt so uncomfortable for me and i like the raggedy man better in this um i love Isabel Furman and I love Owen Teague. I'm giving for the three of them, I'm giving it a full extra nose. Um, but yeah, it just feels like it's it just feels like a drag to watch. You it know, is, like yeah. it's not good enough to be interesting, but it's not bad enough to be interesting either. So yes, it's yes, like yes. in that really weird middle ground of like what and I did not like the ending. So but I'm gonna give it two because the cast is great and they are really, really most of them are really working hard to to do something, you know. Well, Jen, we aligned because I'm, I'm going to go to <laughs> as well. I, yeah. I think, you know, the limitations, you know, both on paper, especially on paper um, and amidst the production, I, I think it's capable enough where I'm like, yeah, I've seen some really bad movies. I mean, I've been on 80 percent of the <laughs> lobstrosities for this show. And like there is some where I'm just like, fuck, like I cannot get through this. And there's certainly stretch of this stretches of this there. I'm like, eh. but at the end of the day, it's like what you're saying, Jen, like there's still Samuel Jackson on the screen and there's still Isabel Furman, like and ONT pops up. So it's enough where I'm mm-hmm. like, OK, cool. And even though Cusack sleepwalks through this and I guess he forgets that, you know, he's not a zombie until the last 30 seconds of this movie. <laughs> um, he, you know, it's still Cusack and I still, you know, I still love him to death. So it's like, all right, well, at least Cusack's on the screen and, and I can, I can deal with this. I mean, I watch war incorporated. So what, I, what can I, what can I say? Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I guess like 
for Jackson and, and Tegan Furman, yeah, that's that's at least a whole one knows. I, I I agree with you, you Jen. But um, I'm also a sucker for survival horror and road tripping. So even if mm-hmm. as a, as a background watch, as as I've mentioned multiple times, thanks to Pluto TV, and this is not a plug for Pluto TV, um, <laughs> you know. It still Blizzard stays on. Brought to you by Pluto TV. Yeah, you know we should yeah. actually be. You know, um, could have could have easily you know wedged it in here. So yeah, two bright red Pennywise clown noses and maybe a little forty five of uh, Ring My Bell, which I love that song. Um, <laughs> but anyway, unlike the Dropkick Murphys, it's time we ship out of Boston. So before <laughs> we go, <laughs> let's catch everyone up on where we're going next. Anna, you got workshops, you got pods. You're incredibly busy. Tell us <laughs> what you got coming up. <laughs> Right. So I have a writing workshop that I do. You can find out more about at AnnaMarieCox.com. And then I do another genre podcast uh, called Space the Nation with uh, Dan Dresner, who I mentioned is a professor at Tufts of International Relations. And we talk about politics and uh, sci-fi, sometimes horror. Uh, upcoming episode actually is the core and i watched oh, this and nice. the core in the same day oh, which was like Amazing. a mediocre movie day yes it was god like, I, I, <laughs> it was i remember at the end of the day i was like wow that was never gonna get that back <laughs> rough never yeah the core is back. rough <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is also stacked cast oh i know god, yeah the tooch is in it which i yeah. totally forgot and aaron eckhart who what happened what happened I know. I know. Yeah, he, he he had a rough. Yeah. He's got a rough. Blown run. up in Batman. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, so uh, writing workshop and uh, the other podcast, and I am now a contributing editor at the New Republic. If you like that yeah. kind of thing. Nice, nice. Rachel, you're also can't stop, won't stop. What is new for you? Yeah, sure. Um, well, you can catch me on the pod in the pendulum here and there with. A uh, friend of the pod, Mike Snoonian, and we've just covered the whole Purge series, um, and that's fun. been, that's been, yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, I kind of was shocked about how I hadn't seen those all, and I was like, oh, there's some, there's some fun things in here. So check that out if you're interested. <laughs> and um, I'll have an interview with composer Paul Leonard Morgan, uh, who did the score for uh, the new Boston Strangler movie on Hulu, which is also surprisingly interesting and tells a really interesting story about the female journalist in the 60s who broke that case and made mm. it public. So um, you can find that on Hulu. And then the interview will be on FilmCred. Cool, cool. Jen, three times the charm when it comes to busy. <laughs> uh, catch yeah. us up on your latest. Um. Well, yeah, so I'm writing and doing a whole bunch of stuff. And um taking a break from psychoanalysis. So I've been uh, working on some other stuff, uh, writing about Children of the Corn, writing about Yellow Jackets, writing about um, Scream. I just wrote a list of the 10 Scream characters that I would build a shrine to, which was super fun. Um, But yeah, just follow me and I'll post it all. So, Well, over here next week, we're going to be rerunning our book episode uh, from Lisey's story that we originally ran in 2021. Um, Jen, you led that discussion on it. I did, yeah. Too. Um, I, I still can't believe it's been two years since that episode. It feels like it was just I last know. year. Um, yeah. We also have the Crichton cast. Randall's Crichton cast. Crichton cast is going to hit the Barons. They're uh, go, they're going to be in the trenches with Sphere, uh, and you can get that in addition to hundreds upon hundreds of hours of content. Joining the Barons yourself. www.patreon.com/slash/thebarons. And uh, beyond that, we've got lots of fun stuff on the way. Which is why, as always, you should follow. The Losers Club on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Losers Club Pod or 
the Losers Club pod, just search for us. You'll find us. And if you're feeling really charitable, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Let us know we're doing something right by giving us some bright red Pennywise clone noses yourself. Hopefully more than what we gave Cell today. Because look, just just let us know that we are your favorite, your devoted, your only Losers Club. And until then, we'll be seeing you over long days and pleasant nights. This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.